This podcast is exceptionally raunchy and dirty and filthy. It is not recommended for anyone under the age of 18. With all that out of the way, welcome. Let's dive in. Play this greeting, Chris. Oh, don't you just sound like a bunch of fun. I love doing the glory holes and just having a full extremely horny. Would love to talk to uh, anyone out there that's feeling the same. I'm five nine, short black hair, brown eyes, athletic build, that. and um, into uh, mutual masturbation, love oral giving, and receiving. <laughs> this um, woman turned into a man. So definitely looking to um, have some fun with the love to make you come, and uh, yeah, let's have a good time. Don't be shy. Greeting from. I thought dissociative one, identity five, disorder zero, wasn't real. Zero, three, that sounded like fucking. James McAvoy and Split when he's like, uh, like trying to fight off his like fucking altar. I love crazy people though. I can't wait to talk to this person. whisper it just it sounds so fucking creepy it just sounds like ugh, what you'd hear when you wake up from being fucking kidnapped hi i have a question this is leah for i'm deep throat podcast this is episode 14 i have a question okay so it's october as i speak to you from my closet uh, which has been converted into like a weird little sound studio. I'm actually really proud of it. Like after I after I decided to make a podcast and I cleared out the closet to make it my little office recording studio, there was 
I would just stand in like the little doorway and just stare at it and be like, behold all I have built. You know, like it was, I was, I'm still, I'm still really proud of it, really happy with it. Anyway, so it's October. This is, Halloween is my all time favorite holiday ever in the world. Um, I took it very seriously as a kid, as one should. And um, I just I just like it because it's not, I love autumn. I love when things start like that last gasp of nature where everything is like really beautiful and then it dies. But it has that last kind of like, the trees look like they're bursting into flames and then they die and turn to like ash in front of you. Crunchy leaf season, I really like it. I like that there's uh, it's not like freezing fucking cold, but it's not like blisteringly hot. It feels like the end of things. And um, it's got that nice little melancholy to it. Shit is dying and winding down and it's kind of a good time for reflection. I like that the whole world is getting down with macabre shit for Halloween. I just feel like this is how life should be, you know what I mean? Like when I walk down the street now and there's like all these decorations in front of people's houses, like skeletons and gravestones and cobwebs and that sort of thing. I'm like, this should ha this should be what it's like all the time. People should just be dressing up as characters and walking around and fucking, you know, um, watching a lot of horror movies. Horror is my favorite genre of all time. I love it. So, but here's something that I've noticed. This it's why I have a question. So, I love a good haunted house movie. They're actually not that easy to find. There's some really great ones out there, but it can be really hard to find good ones because they're so formulaic, but everything's formulaic. Um, it's usually, typically, it's family has some troubles. Usually it's a dead kid. Um, or it's illness, uh, etc. Family, they're just trying to stay together despite the strife of everyday life and they're trying to start over in a new home. And they get this home so cheap. <laughs> That's weird. That's funny. <laughs> Why is this house so cheap? It's so nice and big. And then, you know, before, before long, the walls start bleeding and shit starts flying around and at first you know usually the mom is like you you you're just making shit up and you're wrong and what are you talking about like she's the last person to get on board with all the ish even though everyone else is experiencing it which i get it she's like annoyed right she's got all this shit to deal with they just moved moving's expensive and she's like shut up with the fucking demons and shit and, um, and, you know, and then they call in a paranormal investigator because they're at the end of their rope after not trying anything else. Um, these are not people that you would typically let into your house, a lot of these paranormal investigators. I don't know why you would let a stranger with such dubious credentials into your home to help you deal with a family crisis, but, or why you think that they would be effective. Like, what are they going to do? Go in there and, like, punch the ghost and shit like this? Like, this fucking self-styled pseudo intellectual person what's their track record or like they're not go the ghostbusters who are they you're just gonna let this weirdo in your house that says that they can hear voices and talk to dead people and you're like yeah this is the solution this is what we need sure okay that makes sense and it's always the same deal it's always like oh some person was murdered and and they fucking weren't buried 
well or they were buried in someplace shitty and you have to dig me up and take me someplace else. I mean, if that happened in real life, like none of us would ever be, we would never get a moment's peace because there's so many people who've gone missing. We have no idea what the hell happened to them. Most of them are dead and they're buried God knows where. So they would just be pestering people all the time. So like, why, why in these, this movie world, like why are these ghosts so fucking uppity. Like, why do they think that they're better than all the other ghosts? I don't get it. Why? And why do they have to go about it the way that they do? Because they always find out, oh, actually this person, they were like murdered and, and they want closure. They don't like where they're buried and shit like this. They need, you know, final release or some shit like that. Sometimes it's like they're telling you who a murderer is and it's like, oh, you know, they solve, you know, they catch a serial killer or whatever. But it's like, did you have to be such a dick when you're asking people that you don't know to do you a pretty big favor? Like, why did you have to make shit fly around? Why did you have to scare the shit out of everybody? Why did you have to scare the shit out of the kids and the dog and give everybody PTSD? Like, was that fucking necessary? You're a ghost. You obviously have fucking abilities other people don't. Like, why don't you just go into the bathroom, turn on the hot water faucet, let the mirror above the sink steam up, and then write what you want in the fucking steam. Like that, like Patrick Swayze and Ghost. Why don't you do that? Hi, hello, sorry to bother you. I'm a dead person. Can you help me out, buddy? Like, I was, I'm a murder victim. Can you, it's, it's a bummer. Can you do, you know, do me solid? Why does this have to, like, okay, most people would help you out with that shit. But like I said, moving's expensive. You're just stressing these people out and bothering them and making them get so crazy that they let lunatics into their house who talk to dead people just so you can get your way. I mean, sorry to say this, but like, no matter the method of your death, like, you are dead. Why are you pissing off like all the fucking, like sometimes in the movies, it's like someone who died like a hundred years ago. Give me a break. Like you died in like the Victorian era or something and you're like, oh, I don't like where I'm buried. Take me to Florida. Like, you're really asking for a lot. You're really being a jerk. And sometimes they'll bring in the spook fucking expert and they're like, oh, it's a demon. A demon? Like, how does a demon get into like a fucking average house? How does that happen? That's worse than termites. Like, why is there a demon in this stupid fucking house? Oh, they had a satanic or orgy back in the 70s and I was summoned and everybody was so high they forgot to fucking drive me home. And I would have asked you politely, but I'm a demon. I don't have very good communication skills, but I just miss my friends in hell. Demon? And, and if anyone gets possessed, it's like, oh, they want to take over this person's body. And it's like, but whenever they take over someone's body, all they do is like snarl and puke and shit and like throw things around. And it's like, you wanted to like inhabit another person's body so you could live again, but you're not doing anything terribly effective or interesting. Like any person that acted like that, possessed by demon or no, would not have a very easy time. Like you just, why didn't you become, why didn't you possess somebody so you could do like cool shit or whatever, you know, you could like finally finish reading, you know, Brothers Karamazov or something like that. You could get a puppy, like, I don't know, but why do you have to snarl? Like you, you wanna take over some person's body so that you can be a degenerate asshole, like, it's like worse than having a, a shitty dog, you know, that doesn't obey and like just fucking is a menace. Like, yeah, okay, people are gonna get rid of you. 
what's your point in the first place? You know, you're just kicking up a fuss. So it's just attention seeking. You know what that is? That's attention seeking. It's weird to think about, but even demons have low self-esteem, apparently. That's what these movies are telling me. It's like, okay, yeah, it's not nice that the house in Poltergeist got fucking built over top of an ancient Indian burial ground, but like the people in the house don't, didn't have anything to do with that. They didn't know about it. Like, was it necessary to take Carol Ann? when they have no idea like why you're so pissed in the first place? Was it necessary to get Joe Beth Williams to go through the fucking wall and get covered in all that like ghost fucking guck and shit? And then after that cause you know more trouble and get her thrown into the fucking you know mud pit swimming pool? Like they run a train on Joe Beth Williams in that fucking movie. They do not give her a moment's rest throwing her around the walls and shit right after she has a shower too she's just like she's just cleaned up from all this nonsense and then you fuck with her again and get her all messy again she's just trying to fucking raise her kids you know like sorry ancient indian dead people but like craig t nelson didn't even know what was going on like why do you have to be such a piece of shit i mean i'm sorry for what happened to you but like come on man don't be a dick just because you're dead, especially if you're dead. Like, I can see why you're dead, because you're annoying. Even in death, some people have to be such a pain in the ass. Holy shit, it's terrible. Anyways, like I said, I took Halloween very, very seriously as a child. Like, we would plan my costumes months in advance. Months, motherfucker. And my my grandma and my mom would like team up because my mom can sew and so can my grand. well, so did my grandmother. And they would like construct a costume for me and shit like that. It was always very elaborate. Um, it was very important to me. And there was this one Halloween, I think it was when I was eight, but it may have been when I was nine. I was very young. And I went trick-or-treating, of course. And that particular year, um, Friends of my parents, you know, family friends, they uh, they brought their sons over to our house and I went trick-or-treating with their two sons. One was like a year younger than me, one was a little bit older. So we went trick-or-treating and then because Halloween fell on the weekend, um, we went back to my house and their parents and my parents had a party and they like invited all these other people. And so we were, of course, relegated to the basement where we were, you know, down there with like all of our junk food and um, our basement was finished. It was like a full rec room. So we were down there and, you know, the rule was like, don't come upstairs, you know, because, <laughs> because whatever. But like they would, the adults upstairs would be very loud and they would be like burning through the entire record collection. So it was like, you could tell when you could kind of go back upstairs based on where they were in the record collection. So these two boys who were, they they just commandeered the rec room, you know, cause they were feral gladiators and they actually pushed the coffee table in the middle out of the way so that they, so that they could fight each other. And they would have like for real fights. Like it wasn't play wrestling. It was like, they would get into shouting matches. It would inevitably turn physical. The older kid would like body slam the younger kid. The kid would start crying. He'd run upstairs and tattle. And then his mom would just come and stand at the top of the stairs and be like, Sean, leave your brother alone. Um, so yeah, this happened and it was exciting for me to watch because I don't have siblings. And so when I see siblings fighting, I find it 
incredibly entertaining and amusing. I wish I had that in my life. I wish I had grown up with someone who could, you know, I could have this sort of casual, violent relationship with. I think it would have really helped shape my character better, but whatever, hey. I don't control the procreation habits of my own parents, which is maybe a good thing. Debatable. So anyways, at one point, you know, Brody got mad and he was like, I'm telling, and he started to run up the stairs and I was like, no, 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 you can't go upstairs. Listen to the music, like, they're only on Elton John. Take me to the pilot is playing. Like, you can't fucking go upstairs until at least Pink Floyd comes on. Cat Stevens usually was a good indicator that it was cool to go upstairs. Same with Jim Croce. Um, time in a bottle. That's usually when it was like, you can go upstairs safely and you won't be scarred for life. Um, no, it wasn't that bad. I don't remember. But anyways, um, that particular Halloween was very memorable for me because I saw a movie that came on at midnight. These boys would commandeer the TV and the VCR because this was the era that it was in, it was the 90s. And they would call the shots on what we were gonna watch. And so I saw all kinds of things at a young age that I probably shouldn't have, like Terminator 2, well, both, both Terminator movies, um, some other violent shit, hentai for the first time, which I think kicked off my lifelong love of tentacles. Yeah, for sure. Anime, like the really violent shit. It was like, this isn't fucking Sailor Moon. What the fuck? And um, uh, all kinds of shit. So at midnight, there was a movie that they put on that was on TV. And this movie, swear to God, like changed my life. And actually proved to be strangely prophetic when it comes to my job as a phone sex operator. I know, it fucking sounds very demented. And it is. That movie was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I remember watching it. I remember how enraptured I was by it. I was so, I was not prepared for what I was seeing. Of course, I had no idea what the fuck I was watching. But there was so much that went over my head because it's so adult. But I loved it. Like, I loved it so, so much. It really... It was, uh, I loved it. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing because it was so like naughty, but fun. And I was just, it was enthralling. And the next day my mom was like, so you watched Rocky Horror last night, huh? And I was like, what? <laughs> what? No, no, prove it. I, no, I didn't even know that that was the name of it actually. I, for some reason I didn't figure out what the name was until after I watched it. And, uh, and she was like, but we heard you. Like, we could hear the songs coming up the stairs. And I was like, oh, shit. You really are a god, aren't you? Um, and I was like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. They forced me. I can't. I, I didn't watch any of it. I covered my eyes. Like, I really said this shit because I was like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I wasn't really allowed to watch a lot of, like, naughty shit growing up. So whenever I got the chance to, I, I just, you know, I, I took that chance. So, yeah, I was, I was fairly restricted with what I could watch. My mom was pretty restrictive about that stuff. So I felt like I was really getting away with something. And she was like, it's really good, huh? And I was like, I don't know. I haven't, I wasn't even paying attention. I was reading a book. I wouldn't know. And she was like, uh, do you know what a transvestite is? And I said, oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. What? I'm eight. Of course I know what a fucking transvestite is, dumb whore. But she was like, okay, what is it? 
And I was like, mm -mm, you got me. You got me on that definition shit. Shit. And she was like, okay. And I was like, I, I wouldn't know. I don't know, actually. Okay, I give up. And she, she explained it to me. She said, transvestite is a man. Because at the time, oh, I mean, I think it's usually only applied to men. Is a man who dresses up like a lady. But they're not doing it to be funny. That's what she said. Because, you know, like, movies like Some Like It Hot, which is one of the best comedies ever made, uh, Billy Wilder. It's from the 50s. It stars Marilyn Monroe, Jack Lemmon, and uh, Tony Curtis. And Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon are these musicians. It takes place during the 1920s. So it's Prohibition era. So they work at speakeasies, illegal speakeasies, where people are drinking, and they're part of, the, like, the house band. And inevitably, the speakeasy gets raided. They start running because it's like people are getting arrested. These two guys are pussy hounds. I maybe mentioned that. And um, they uh, they get they accidentally witness the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which is what it sounds like. Uh, yeah, they, they seek refuge in like this garage. And this um, it was like a mafia hit where this like rival gang was like murdered in a garage like they lined them up and and like mowed them down with machine guns so they saw so they see this they're witnesses to a crime so they've got these like mobsters on their ass because they somehow like figured out that they're that they were there and they witnessed it so in order to to get away they actually take jobs for an all woman's band that's that's going to florida so they dress up like dames because they have the musical ability but they're not ladies so they dress up like ladies and they go to Florida for refuge. They're like super ugly broads and that's the whole like funny of it. And they're also really big, like really big linebacker shoulders. And Marilyn Monroe plays Sugar Kane, birth name Sugar Kowalski, who's the lead singer and a lush. Um, her costumes are like out fucking rageously cool in the movie. It's one of the funniest movies ever made. It is one of the best endings of any movie, let alone a, um, a comedy but that the joke is is that they're, they're they're seriously ugly women like they're very ugly big women um yeah they call themselves Geraldine and Daphne <laughs> it's so funny and it's so cute and you know there's lots of things like that where there's like men dressed up like ladies and acting like ladies and it's supposed to be funny and the way my mom described it was she was like transvestites aren't trying to be funny they're they're dressing up for other reasons and she, she didn't say to me, it's for sexual reasons, because that, I guess that would have been really inappropriate, but she was, but I was like, oh, okay. And I was very intrigued by this notion. And she said, do you know what a transsexual is? Because <laughs> Rocky Horror Picture Show is a musical um, about these two squares, Brad and Janet, who are driving to go see one of um, Brad's associates, um, Professor Vice. And uh, why, no, what's the professor's name? I'm an idiot. Anyway, so their car breaks down and they go over to the, the only place they can find is this, they call it the Frankenstein place. And it's like a castle and they find themselves in the middle of a decadent party that's actually being put on by um, three aliens who are from um, transsexual Transylvania. So their, their planet is called Transylvania and I guess the capital is like transsexual. So he's a transvestite from transsexual Transylvania and um yeah four aliens and um no yes 
Hawk I can't count, four aliens, and um, Tim Curry is like Dr. Frankenfurter. He is the lead of these four aliens, and he dresses like a dame, but he likes many, he builds himself Rocky, Rocky Horror, which is his um, like life-sized man doll for relieving his tension as he says, but he has sex with, with men and women throughout the proceedings. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny when you say the actual fucking plot, cause it's, it's like, wow, that's weird, but whatever. Um, it's funny. And so she's like, do you know what a transsexual is? And I was like, of course I do. <sighs> now you're being insulting. And she was like, okay, what is it? And I'm like, ah, that definition shit. And I was like, I don't know. And I actually remember saying like, I don't have time to talk about this with you. Like I gotta go upstairs. You know, there's a tea party happening. I'm hosting. The bears are gonna get mad if I don't show up. And she was just like, you don't know what it is. And I was like, I do too. And she was like, okay, here's what it is. She's like, some people are born in the wrong body. So they're born a boy or a girl, but they, their brain is of the opposite sex. So what they do is that they go and they um, have operations. This was the 90s, so it was a little bit different, the perspective of trans people and that sort of thing. But she was right, and she's like, they go and they get, they get that changed. And I was like, oh, that sounds painful. Oy, that hurts. Yikes. And she was like, you know, some people are just like that. Like it was just, there was, it was just very matter of fact and there was just no malice applied to it. It was just completely, she just was explaining it to me. And I found it all very interesting. And um, it's weird because I feel that that, that, I mean, it's, it's led to now I'm an adult and I'm a phone sex operator. And now I specialize in autogynephilia, which is feminization, which is turning men into women. And it's all always been something that like, I don't know, it's just really intrigues me when guys dress up like dames. I just, I love it. I just, I, I guess, yeah, there's a sexual attraction there for sure. I've said previously on other podcasts that like, I don't really get a sexual feeling when I talk to people on the phone sex line. And that's true. Like I don't masturbate on these calls. Sorry to break your bubble, but that would be exhausting and weird. And I wouldn't want to, it's, it's, and I've explained before that, you know, it's, it's a female thing. It's like, we can't, we need more than like, if I don't know really what you look like or anything like that. And I, I know people are lying on the phone sex line. It's not really a shared fantasy for me. The other person, the man is like, you know, they're using their imagination and da -da. just men get turned on differently from women and they experience um, arousal differently. And that's why like, I've had, I've had several men over the years tell me that, oh, I'd like to have a job as a phone sex operator. And I'm like, great, you'll be talking to men. And some of them are shocked by this. And it's like, do you really think that women get out their credit card and call up a phone sex line and talk to a man that they don't know to get off? You don't know shit about women then. Like, that's not enough for us. Like, we're not, like, you could just as easily get off to porn, you know? And, and I mean, you know, I've said before that, because people have said, well, why would anyone call a phone sex line if 
they can just look at porn? I honestly kind of think that's a bit of a sad question, if I'm being honest, and I, I always am, because I can't help it. Um, I broke the dishonesty dam a long time ago, so nothing gets built up. It just flows forth like a toxic river. Um, yeah, so it's like, but porn, like, okay, I mean, people aren't necessarily going to be really super turned on by porn all the time. Like, it gets monotonous, and it's like, would you rather talk to somebody who's, like, actually hearing your voice and saying your name and that you're speaking to legit in a conversation um, versus watching, like, another porn clip that was shot in, like, 2016? of some chick getting, you know, spooched on by a bunch of guys and you're like, I wonder if she's a trafficking victim. Like, you know, porn has its limitations. People like connection at the end of the day. Porn is a, is a poor substitute for that. Yeah, it's its thing, but at the same time, it's like, it's not enough to satisfy the, the connection, you know, because it's like when someone's watching porn, it's like, well, I'm not having sex with them. I'm just fantasizing about it. I'm not really like, talking to them and, and getting them turned on and like, no, I'm not genuinely getting turned on when I talk to people on the phone sex line, but the illusion is better, I guess, because <laughs> I can say their name and, and they can tailor fit their fantasies because not every porn is going to like satisfy people. Like people have very specific things that they like and want. And sometimes they're reliving a fantasy over and over again. Like they're just, it's a broken record whack off where it's like, you've been jacking off to this one idea for like, 20 years. It's wild, dude. People recycle that shit. But anyways, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't give you what you, what you want. You know, women just have a very different perspective on sexuality and it's just our arousal is very different. Do you ever notice that when you actually get a woman off, like it takes fucking forever? Cause she's not engaged, you know, like guys just think, oh, if I finger her like really fucking hard, then somehow we're going to like that. And it's like, ow, no, ow, ow. Like you, you jamming your fingers into my vagina isn't exactly going to like turn me on. Like, hello, I have a clit. Like, you know, it's, you got to put the work in buddy. And, and even if you're, if you're down there doing your thing, which there's not much to do down there, to be totally honest, when you start doing like all this weird shit down there, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you're just fucking around down there. Did you get lost? You must have. Because you don't know where you are, what you're go what you're doing, you know? Like, just fuck me and get it over with. Because this is fucking sad. Um, if you actually, like, get down... And, like, you should be sweating when you go down on a woman at some point. Like, you should be tired. Because it, you have to earn it. And if she's not really, like, into it or getting off, it's because her mind's not engaged. You don't seem to genuinely want her to get off. So she now has, like, all this kind of, like, stress of, like oh, I got to hurry up and get off. So I'm just going to fake it because this is agonizing. Like, let's just fucking shoot this dead horse. Um, that's, that's the deal. I mean, you really have to like massage a woman's mind. You got to get her into it. And you got to make sure she's into you. Holy fuck. Like so many guys, they assume, well, I'm into you. So you must be into me. Nope. Sorry. You don't do anything for me. So no, thank you. And you just describing your dick to me, that's not enough. I don't care. I can get a dick any second I want. It doesn't matter. Do, will it be satisfying? It's another story entirely. But when I talk to guys who are like cross-dressers, 
I really like, I do get a feeling that is different from a lot of other calls. Like I do light up more. It does make me like very excited and happy. And I wouldn't say I'm not masturbating on the calls still, but I get a different sort of sensation. I guess it's the closest that I get to arousal on the phone sex line when I talk to guys who dress up like dames. Um, it's like a it's like a full body buzz. It's like it's like when you go outside on the you know the first real day of spring, I guess, and you realize that like the winter's over, and you get that like you know the warm breeze like touches your skin, and you can take off all the jackets and shit like that. That's what it feels like. Like it feels like like a nice sudden sort of like full body rush. That you know what like that that's great, and like a lot of people don't factor that in. Like there's so many ways to get aroused and there's so many ways to feel good you know like sometimes having a really great intimate conversation with someone that like intellectual intimacy is incredibly powerful and erotic and sexy and can make you feel very keyed up and 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 just buzzing and and just happy and joyful and it's like I don't you don't necessarily need to make it all the way to the finish line but it's a nice bit of like sort of foreplay it's like emotional foreplay which a lot of people don't understand so yeah, I mean, I've said before that I'd say that the two biggest requests people have, the first one is children. I must reiterate again, I do not entertain these calls, but I get requests for them every single day, multiple times a day. The next one is incest. Once again, don't usually get down with that because it usually involves children and it's abuse and all this nastiness. But I'd say that the third one... <laughs> It's one of the biggest ones, the biggest requests that I get is men who want to fuck other men. Are they gay? Some. I do get gay men calling me um, and telling me they just like to talk about their exploits. They like to ask questions, um, tell me about stuff. I've had a lot of gay men who told me like, yo, the male side of the phone sex world is rough. Rough, dude. Rough. Um, as in it is very, like, it's just very, very aggressive. I don't know too many people who don't like gay porn, like man on man. I mean, people like girl on girl, but guy on guy, people love it. Like I love gay porn. I love seeing men kiss. There's a movie called Rules of Attraction where James Vanderbeek, Dawson himself makes out with, I, what's it, Ian Sommerhander or whatever the hell his name is. He's very beautiful. They make out in that movie and holy fuck is that hot. Holy shit. You know, when, when you get two beings filled with testosterone and they collide in a, a moment of arousal, it's going to be intense, dog. The first time I saw a porn where like a guy was fucking another guy in the ass, I was like overwhelmed. I was like, <laughs> like, I just, I, it was, it was insane to me. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I was like, this is great, but holy shit, is it intense? Like it was, it was nuts. <laughs> nuts. Um, yeah, I love that shit. So yeah, it's going to be pretty rough. There's no like sweet nothings on the gay end of things. I actually have a friend who asked me, he's like, I'd like, can you get me like a job, set me up on the phone sex line? And I was like, dude, you're gonna be talking to dudes. And he was like, I know. And I was like, okay, gay for pay, no big whoop. You do what you gotta do, buddy. But I warned him. I was like, it's gonna be really rough. Like it's gonna be really, um, 
it's going to be pretty rough because it's anonymous and um, it's, uh, you know, gay, gay sexuality can be very intense because <laughs> like I said, it's testosterone fueled individuals uh, colliding together. So it could be, you know, it's, it's going to be very intense and it's not necessarily going to be very pleasant. This is what gay men have told me who have talked to me. And my friend was like, okay, thanks for the warning. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I can't warn you enough. Like the shit I, I hear on this end is fucking harsh. But I have a feeling from what I've been told your end, it's going to be, it's going to be real intense. And he messaged me a little while later and he's like, I don't know how the hell you do this. I can't do it. And I was like, I'm sorry, I feel really bad. I tried to warn you and he's like, no, 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 you did warn me, I just didn't really know. It's like, okay, you know. I think also there's a lot of other feelings that go with being gay. Um, but anyways, yeah, I've, I, I think that, I think that one of the reasons that I'm so okay and down with talking to guys about their, their, um, you know, homosexual urges and stuff like that is like, I just, I, I didn't grow up with any sort of homophobia, you know, it was never seen, it was never presented to me as something that was really alien and gross. It was just like a normal thing. And I think that that's because, well, I know it's because like I'm, my uncle was gay and he was honestly one of the nicest people I've ever known in my life. And he was the first positive male role model in my life. Um, yeah, he was the first positive male role model, uh, before, um, I'd say the other one that came into my life would have been my grade three teacher, Mr. Deans, and then my stepfather, who I met when I was nearly 14. But he was the very, very first, and there's actually a lot of really great pictures of us that I really cherish. I, I can see that I loved him very much because I was, there's pictures of us, like, hugging on the couch and, like, cuddling. And like, I wasn't like that with men, you know, men kind of freaked me out because my father was scary and violent as much as I loved him, um, which was very dearly, but I can't say he was a positive influence on my life for like, you know, I've talked about this previously. Uh, so to see me like so comfortable and like genuinely happy with this man, it really warms my heart because it's like, oh, you know, just a reminder of what a good person he was. He, unfortunately, um, was gay-bashed before I was born. It was in the 70s, I believe. Yes, the 70s. He was coming home from work, and it was late. It was dark. This person had been un hiding underneath his porch, waiting for him. As he was unlocking the door, he saw this person running across the porch, um, in his peripheral vision and he saw him sort of at the last minute and if he hadn't seen that sort of peripheral in the last minute He wouldn't have put his arms up to shield his head and he most definitely would have been killed But instead he was beaten very savagely um, I believe he sustained a concussion But I know his arms were broken because this person bashed his arms and he passed out the neighbors called the police He was taken to the hospital my mother and my aunt they lived in he's from he was from Halifax, Nova Scotia and um yeah, he was, uh, from my understanding, so my aunt and my mom were called, and of course they were hysterical. Um, from my understanding, the police were not helpful. They blamed him. Well, if you're going to be this, then you're going to expect that. 
the person who did it was never caught. Um, there's some speculation, some belief that it may have been my aunt's former husband, Rob, who was a piece of shit. Um, if it was him, which we're not really sure, like I think my family's kind of divided on it. Like they kind of think, well, it could be because he was such an asshole. But if it was him, it was for the same sort of reason, um, which is that he was gay. I think he felt insulted that his wife left him and, you know, was sort of taken in by her gay brother. I think that really like did his head in. But was it him? Was it not him? I mean, there's no other... This is not somebody who had fucking enemies. This is somebody who was incredibly kind, incredibly nice, well-loved by his community, by his colleagues, by his friends. There's just... To to have a, an act of violence um, performed on him is just... It's, it, I mean, it's never right, but it just seems extra fucked up that it's like he's such a good person. And I think about now, like, had he died that night, I would have never left, like, met him, which means I would have, you know, not had that positive male role model. He did so much, like, he was such a kind, good person. Um, I have so many great memories of, of visiting him in Halifax. Um, he introduced me to a lot of great things. He loved old movies. He loved old movie stars. I guess it's cliche, but he also introduced me to Tennessee Williams, which I guess it's cliche. He was not like a, an effeminate guy. Um, he was very classy. He had, he dressed very well. He had a beautiful house. He obviously loved aesthetics, but I don't, I don't know if he would, he wasn't flamboyant or anything like that. Not at all. He was actually very elegant and reserved. Um, so who this person is, I mean, clearly they were targeting him. They knew, they knew his habits because they knew when he was coming home and they hid under his porch. I mean, that's someone who's got a real fucking anger towards this person. And if you actually knew this guy, you could never be angry at him. So obviously, yeah, it was, and everybody knows like, yeah, it was because he's gay and it changed his life. Um, we never knew him to have a, a partner, anything like this at all, ever, never, never, never. I think that the incident, my mom thinks this too, it just, you know, it just scared him so badly that it kind of put, I mean, he maybe had people that he was with or hooking up with or whoever, like, and that we never found out about it, the family, because it's not our business. <laughs> it's not, it was never relevant to us that he, what his orientation was. It doesn't matter. But I think about what that could have done to our family and the devastation it would have brought I mean, it would have destroyed my grandparents. Um, my grandmother was actually his stepmother. Uh, my grandfather was married to a woman previous to my grandmother, and um, this they had four children together, and this woman died young of breast cancer. And so when she died, they had four children. The oldest was five, the youngest was six months. So this was very common in those days. My grandfather sent all the kids to different relatives to be raised. and. Dennis, my uncle, was sent with the six-month-old baby, who's now my aunt, to live with his maternal grandparents, who were named Bert and Mildred. And they were people that it was like spider baby. Like, it was like fucking Tim Burton people, but not cool. Like, they were from where they stepped out of, I don't know what dimension. Like, their daughter, Joyce, sounded like a very lovely person. She... 
um, was a nurse and everything, but how, who these people were, I mean, they, they were a nightmare. His, so Dennis's upbringing was, I mean, Dickensian makes it sound quaint. He was beaten mercilessly. His grandfather, Bert, was the town drunk. Um, he was beaten very mercilessly. He was treated horribly. They treated him like a slave. Why they took out their anger on their grandson in this way, nobody knows. Like, no one knows. And in those days, children were seen and not heard, so it didn't matter that this was happening. People didn't really... Um, people didn't step in and stuff like that. The weird thing, too, is that Kathy, his sister who was also raised beside him, was raised very differently. She was treated like a princess, which... I think actually speaks to some very nefarious shit that was going on in that house or something was happening because I've only met her once. She's nuts. I have seen, she is the only person who has ever done this particular thing that I've ever seen in my life. Every single morning she gets up and she chain smokes. She has severe asthma. She smokes, taking drags off of a cigarette and then she takes puffs from an inhaler in between smokes because she hacks and coughs so she's smoking <coughs> using her inhaler i've never seen anything that insane before in my life like you're smoking and using an inhaler at the same time you're a lunatic like she's a crazy person but when she talks about her grandfather i mean i i've only known i only heard horror stories about this man but she talks about how he like every week like washed her hair and like fucking braided it and shit and like combed it out in front of the fireplace and it was like she's talking about this and it was like dude holy fuck now I don't know what happened but that's fucked up and it maybe uh explains some shit so yeah, he had this horrible fucking life and he grew up to be a great person, a great man. And my, my grandmother was his stepmother and he said that the first time he ever saw my stepmother, he thought she was a movie star because she just was so beautiful and she was so glamorous and she was so different from anybody he had been around at that point. He was around this bitch Mildred, all these fucking asshole people. And he said my grandmother was just this beautiful kind lovely woman and um you know she loved him very very much as, and she, and he called her mom and she referred to him as her son it's just so beautiful i just love that you know no wicked stepmother shit <laughs> and the other kids too like they all they all saw her they have all seen her as a mother and she thinks of them as her children but had he been murdered that night oh it would have just destroyed them. They would have they would have grieved for the rest of their days, and that's not fucking fair. Like, what gives anybody the right to step in the pathway of anybody's life and end it and destroy it? Because you have some sort of issue with other people. Like, you're such a cunt, you know? People are so rotten. And also, I grew up with, like, I don't know, my mom just always had, like, told me, you know, that gay people were, it's fine, it's not something that you should, you should treat people with respect. You should treat people with kindness. There's nothing weird about it. It's totally fine. I went to an arts high school. I took dance classes. I took acting classes. Like, if I was going to be homophobic, that would just be shooting myself in the foot, you know? It's just, it's just dumb. It's just silly. 
it's just weird to me. So I've always had a very open mind about these things because I just was never ever given anything else. I was never told gay people were bad. I was never told that being transsexual was bad or whatever. Like it was just never presented to me in such a way. But I think that that has been beneficial for me, not just on a monetary level on the phone sex line, but I think I've, you know, I've been able to connect with people in a way because I get so many men who like call me and they talk about these fantasies they have involving other men. And they're in like sort of a crisis about it because they, they wonder what the fuck it means to them. There was this one guy and he called me and he was like, I've been getting sucked off by this guy that I met at a bar. This is all pre-COVID. And, and um, it's great. Like he gives the best head I've ever gotten in my life. Um, I, I've never been sucked off by a man before. I've never had sex with a man. And he's been sort of saying like, cause I guess this guy has a boyfriend and he's met the boyfriend and they're like, yo, let's have a threesome. You know, we love kind of, they're, they're the type of people they love they love taking, you know, straight men and, and showing them a brand new world, whole new world. Like their, their dicks are the magic carpet that they use to elevate these people above the world and see it in all of its splendor. Like they're those types of people. And he's like, I'm like, so, so what's the problem? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. And I was like, well, you've met them. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and you've talked to them. Yeah. And I'm like, do you get any weird feelings from them? Do you think anything fucked up is like, do, do you get sketchy vibes? And he's like, no, not at all. Not at all. I think they're sincere. They, they don't, they're straightforward. They don't seem <laughs> straightforward. <laughs> um, they don't seem, he's like, I like them. I want to fuck them. <laughs> it's like, okay, no problem. And he's like, but I just, what does this make me that I want to have sex with these two men? And I was like, okay. And this is a conversation I've had many times on the phone sex line. Okay. So when you, I'm like, you fantasize about this, right? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, do you, when you think of men and you think about sucking these guys off, fucking them, whatever, whatever, what, like, do you also think about this in a romantic sense? Like, do you, um, have like a romantic longing? Do you want to go out on a date with them? Do you want to hold hands with them? Do you want to hug them and kiss them like lay beside them? And he's like, Oh fuck no. And I'm like, but you feel that way about women. And he's like, Oh yeah, for sure. And I still do. But this is the first time I've really like kind of indulged this aspect of myself. And I'm like, then indulge it. You know, as long as you do safe, consensual, sane, I don't see what the problem is. And he's like, but what does this make me? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe you're bisexual. I mean, I don't necessarily think so because that would imply that you want to date men too, or that you have a romantic attachment or attraction to them, but you don't seem to. And he's like, no, never. And I was like, all right, whatever. Then you get turned on by men because they're hot and you get turned on by the thought of having sex with them and you know and it's like you don't have to label yourself it doesn't mean anything it's like means you want to have sex with hot dudes like why does that have to change your personality why does that have to change who you are it doesn't 
And, and, you know, at the end of the day, I said, I said to him, like, you're an adult. You don't have to tell people that you're doing this. If you want to, sure, if you feel it's relevant. But this is your private self. This is your private life. This is your sex life. This is as private as it gets. You are under no obligation to tell people. And, you know, there's lots of people in my life, we don't talk about their sex lives. Why would we? It doesn't come up. It's not important. You know, I have lots of friends. I talk about sex with them. Great. Fantastic. But there's some people it's like, no, we just don't talk about that aspect and we don't need to. It's private. You know, it's not something that you need to disclose to people. It's, it's all about you and what you get out of it. I feel like, you know, we live in a time and an era where people are very much obsessed with labels. And I think it's tremendously harmful in every way possible. Because a lot of these guys that I talk to on the phone sex line, they're panicked. They're like, oh, but what am I now? Like, am I a gay guy? Do I need to go like buy booty shorts? Like what's happening to me? And it's like, nah, dude, it's nothing. Nothing's happening to you. You're exploring, you're having a sexual awakening, you know, it's life. It's got nothing to do with like how you identify. Like people are obsessed with identifying. They're obsessed with slapping a label on themselves and others. And like, I fucking hate labels. Go fuck off with your labels. I have had sex with women. I have, I am attracted to women. I've dated women. Does that make me bisexual? I don't fucking know. And I don't fucking care. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm gay and I've had a lot of straight experiences or maybe I'm straight and I've had a lot of gay experiences. Who fucking knows? It doesn't make a difference to me because the label is not important. If it makes sense to me in the context of my own life, I owe other people jack shit. And I think that labels really don't help anybody. Labels just make you into a thing, an idea, a group. And I hate that shit because then you're bleeding out all the humanity. And people think that they have to like announce themselves. I am this label, by the way. And I get that like people try to have an identity and they can't figure out what their identity is. So then they're like, oh, this, this is this, this is me. I am this thing. Oh, 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 I'm somebody now. And I have to, you know, announce it. And like, I see all these wacky Instagram posts and uh, like Facebook posts. And it's like, hi, everybody. Um, so I wanted to make a really important announcement. My partner who um, has been thinking about his gender a lot for the last three weeks and um oh oh sorry i misgendering is the worst um he goes by they them pronouns and he him pronouns so i wasn't wrong but i how am i supposed to know which when to use which one anyways um so he he has uh realized that he is realizing, the realization is, is that he is pansexual. That's not the same as being bisexual. It means that, um, he'll fuck anybody. Uh, love is love. You know, if you got a hole, let's roll. That type of shit. Uh, I'm so proud of him for coming to this realization. I know it's not easy. Um, I think we all remember the great pansexual massacre of 2047 or something. Um, yeah, and uh, I also am coming out. I'd like to take this moment 
uh, I am demisexual, demisexual, which um, it means that I, I'm not sexually attracted to someone until I know them. Except for attractive people I don't know that I'm attracted to. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like you or I don't want to fuck you because I don't know you. And then I get to know you and I'm like, oh, I want to fuck you, you know. That's what it is. And we're poly. That means polyamorous. It's not like being in an open relationship. That's, that's shit people did in the 60s, that free love shit. This is not the same. This is different. This is an advanced version. We're poly. And um, that means that uh, my partner fucks other people and I pretend I'm fine with it. And then I fuck other people as well for spite. And he pretends he's fine with it. And we just let this resentment between us, you know, grow and build and shape our lives until it's, you know, it's a house. We live in a house made completely out of resentment. Um, the rent is very high. Uh, yeah, so we just wanted everybody on the internet who we don't know to know that we have um, these labels that you should identify us by based on um, who we fuck. And it's very important, you know, it's so important and it's just so crucial and um, yeah, so we have an alternate lifestyle that we like to flaunt um, because we think that it makes us look progressive and interesting when really we just lack the emotional maturity to handle it in a way that isn't unhealthy. But we, we deal with that by pretending to be better than everybody else, even though it's probably pretty apparent that this will end terribly. Thank you so much. Black Lives Matter, uh, yeah. Uh, and it's like, who is this person? I think I met her once, like four years ago or something. I don't know her boyfriend or whatever he is. Like, why? Like, what the fuck? Why? Why? Why are you putting your entire identity around your sexual orientation? Aren't we supposed to be past this crap? Or past your gender? I don't want to be defined as cisgender. Fuck off. Don't put a label on me just because, you know, that's how I am. Uh, I, I also don't like when people insist on identifying themselves based on their pronouns. Because I'm not going to go, Hi, I'm Leela and she, her. No, damn it. It shouldn't matter what my fucking gender is. It shouldn't matter what my orientation is. Shouldn't matter any of that shit. You know, we'll ne we're never going to be equals if we keep designating each other as different, as no, we're not the same. We're not the same. Can't we all just be people having experiences that might be different from each other, but don't like alienate us? Can't we find a fucking common ground? Like being alive is a nutty fucking business. Can't we all just like go, yeah, we're all just people, man. Skin color, doesn't matter. Sexual, sexual orientation, doesn't matter. Gender, doesn't matter. It's, it's about the person. Did you all miss out on that fucking Martin Luther King Jr. speech where he says the content of your character, that's what matters? Also, the other thing too is that when you open yourself up to being a label and you insist on being defined as that label, 
I mean, not only is no one ever going to see your humanity, you're always going to be seen as a victim. And when you're always seen as a victim, that's going to open you up to more hate because people love to punch down. And if you're not, if you keep insisting that you're not equal and you're outside of society and you're not a part of it, um, then people are always going to feel that they have, that they're allowed to attack you. But if you don't make a big stink about it and you just go, yeah, I exist, motherfucker, you know, I'm just living my life, then yeah, people don't have anything to to attack or harm if you're just minding your business. I mean, people are always going to be dickheads, but whatever. But it also kind of opens you up as well to people who are going to exploit you, people who are, who are like, oh, I want to look woke today, so I'm going to go and show my allyship. And it's like, that's one of the problems, like, Toronto, where I live, has a, a, you know, well, now it's a gay pride month. Um, you know, the gay pride parade here, it was a weekend, and then I think it was a week, and then it was a month. My friend Eric has told me, he remembers when gay pride first came to, the gay pride parade was first um, done in Toronto. And he said he remembers it because people were protesting and shit, and were like, get out of here. But the point of gay pride, the point of the gay pride parade the, is was supposed has always been to show people in the community hey guess what there's gay people living amongst you you probably didn't even know this until now we're here we're queer get used to it that's the deal hi yeah we're your neighbors we're gay you didn't know that until now but we've been living amongst you would you like to maybe i don't know lend your support you know that might be nice uh, and he and he said, you know, and then within the next couple of years, every the gay community like it got they got to be really cool, and like everybody thought they were cool, and they started celebrating it. And then within a couple of years, it was like the ending of a John Hughes movie or something like that, where there's like the nerd that's getting picked on, and then at the end of the movie, like everybody in the high school is wearing his jeans. That's that's how Eric explained it to me. He's like, they're all dressing like him and wearing his type of jeans. He, so that's his uh, explanation of the evolution of gay pride in Toronto. But now it's very corporate. Now it's like it's being used. It's being exploited as like, oh, no, no, look, we're woke. Before we wanted nothing to do with you, but now we realize that society has decided to accept you. So we're going to use that to our advantage to make ourselves look good. I sometimes think that gay pride is now about straight people kind of showing up and taking pictures and posting it on Instagram. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're supporting this, sure. And you should, because, you know, we all, we all need to like each other. We all need to find common ground. But at the end of the day, when you post something on Instagram, at, you know, Gay Pride or wherever, I mean, who's the person who's benefiting the most? The person who's posting. They're the ones getting the likes, the accolades, the... Um, attention is it really helping the, a bigger cause i mean i guess you could argue maybe it is but at the end of the day it's more benefiting to the person who's showing their support i mean you can show support and you don't need accolades that's really the purest form of humanitarianism is just doing shit because it's right and you don't need anybody's goddamn approval and you don't need awards i think humanitarian awards are fucking outrageous you should just do it because it's the right thing to do. And don't expect anything in return. Isn't that the purest form of humanitarianism? Like there's so many people who just do great things every day to help people. They don't post about it. They'd be embarrassed to do so because they're like, this isn't about me getting showered with compliments. This is about me 
um, just doing the right fucking thing, which is what we should all fucking do. And that's it, period. So I, I wonder if you take away the photo op, I think you'll really find out who the true blue allies are. That's how I think of it. Because, you know, parade or not, it does, you know, there's plenty of gay people who like, they're not down with gay pride. They're not into it. They're never going to show up for that fucking parade. They're never going to be into it. They're like, no, actually, my statement is no statement. I'm just going to live my life. And if you have a problem with it, that truly is your problem because I'm not kicking up a fuss. And yeah, it's great to be, you know, proud of your community and, and all that stuff. But there's there's something very powerful about not needing anyone to approve of you in any way, shape or form. And there's something powerful in just being able to say they're just people. I'm not looking at them as novelty items. You know, they're 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 human beings having an experience like we all are in this strange world that we live in. And I, I just think that, you know, in the internet age, you just can't trust people. <laughs> people lie about all kinds of crap online. People have lied about like houses that they live in that they don't. People have lied about jobs they don't have that they claim to have. They've lied about, people have faked miscarriages. People have faked cancer. People have faked their own deaths for fucking attention. People have killed each other for attention on TikTok more than once. And it's because social media is a drug, you know? Like that's the deal about it, is that there's ways for your brain to release dopamine such as, you know, eating and exercise and sex. And the other one is accomplishment. That's why when you fucking finish something, you feel good. Because that's that dopamine release. Because it's telling you, yeah, keep going. Keep keep making things. Keep going forward. Like, keep it, keep it moving, buddy. And uh, the hack of that is social media. Because dopamine is released in your brain if you post something online and people like it or you get a lot of followers. It's shown it has an effect on people. It has an effect directly on their brain. They feel good about it. They get compliments, they get retreats or re, you know, all that shit. And and so people are tricked into thinking they're accomplishing something when they're not. This is hacked into you. You know, this isn't this isn't uh it's the same way that junk food, high sugar junk food hacks you as well because it's like your brain automatically uh, registers that immediate sugar rush as, you know, energy. And that's how it, it takes it. But it, it's fucking up your body. It's not healthy for you. But you end up craving it. So that's why people can't get off social media. They're addicted to it. And people will go to the ends of the earth to get attention. And they'll do anything. It's this relentless thing of, I need, like, people will do things that get them injured. How many times have you seen that? People doing things that are so stupid and it's like people get injured doing it. And it's like, what is making you do this? It's no different than like people who are addicted to drugs, who they're doing the dumbest shit ever because they're not thinking clearly because all they want is a high. And, you know, like you see people on drugs will do anything. They'll, they'll degrade themselves. They'll end up sucking dick in an alleyway they'll end up putting themselves in outrageous danger that nobody would ever put themselves in unless they had some sort of chemical dependency that was running their life. And social media is another form of chemical dependency. Some people can handle it. Some people can go on it and see it for what it is, which is it's entertainment. It doesn't really matter. It has no 
real importance in the grand scheme of things. Not, not whatsoever. It's not an accomplishment. All that shit. But some people can't handle that. Like they, they love that they get to edit their reality and they love the accolades so much. And they love the attention so much that they will do anything and everything. And they will become this very hollow version of themselves that claims that they care about things. And it's like, no, you don't. Like, you don't, you care about yourself. And that's why, I mean, people will buy followers. People will do everything for followers. They'll post pictures of their children. They'll post pictures of, you know, where they live and and half-nude photos and stuff like that. I mean, the fact that we take pictures of ourselves to put online for people to like, it's, it's just so strange. It's weird behavior, but it's, it's behavior that, I mean, it, it's designed that way. And that's why influencers, I mean, they don't accomplish anything. They're not, they're not doing anything that you can consider a talent. They're just, they've just spent so much time on this app. They spend so much time online and they're so desperate for attention that they've, thrown their entire life into getting attention on social media and they've acquired a lot of followers and when you acquire more followers then you know you get sponsors and Instagram makes money off of you so that's the incentive the incentive it, it makes it look like oh you've accomplished something no you've accomplished something for other people to exploit you influencers are just propaganda spokespeople that's all they are. Influencers. Who would be influenced by these people? To do what exactly? To buy the shit that they're being told to sold, to sell. Because that is, you know, the reward you get from spending all your time on social media and gathering enough people to pay attention to you. So then, you know, you get targeted as like, oh, okay, we can use this person to market our fucking bullshit product. Product. That's all that it is. And I know people try to make it into something else, but that's just simply not true. It's just not true. And I think also, I mean, it, it becomes, it becomes absurd. It becomes wildly absurd. Like I remember after George Floyd died, there was someone who was on my Facebook who wrote this post and it was, this person is white. I say that only for context of this story that they said that they they described basically having like a full-blown physical and mental breakdown over George Floyd. Like, because they're so ashamed to be white. Like, you, it sounded like this person was like literally crawling on hands and knees, shaking, crying. They couldn't eat. They couldn't shower. They couldn't do anything with their lives. They were so ashamed. They were so ashamed. I live in Toronto. The George Floyd case happened in Minnesota. It's interesting to me that this person was somehow capable of taking something that had nothing to do with him that actually occurred in a different country and make it all about themselves. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to give it too heavy praise, but it is kind of amazing that they were able to like take something that had nothing to do with them and make it about themselves. 
And it's interesting that they use something that just happened to be like the biggest news story at that moment. And yet, despite the fact that they were having this enormous mental breakdown, they somehow crawled to their iPhone or their laptop or their iPad and was able to send out this missive about how their white guilt was crushing them from the inside out. <laughs> I mean, like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? I'm not saying you can't feel bad about this sort of thing, but I mean, kind of give me a break. I mean, he ba he said that basically it was like the collective white race that killed George Floyd. What? Excuse me? I don't recall kneeling on anybody's neck recently. How was I in Minnesota? This is Toronto, stupid. Talking about. Like, really, what the fuck are you talking about? It's, it's, it's so phony. It's just an overcompensation. I know this person a little bit personally, and I know that their problem is that they grew up in a racist household, and they hate their parents, and they resent them deeply for being racist around them when they were a kid. And maybe they had a period of time in their life where they were kind of racist or whatever. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but I know that this has, this is nothing to do with like anything except their own fucking demons and issues that they have not dealt with. Cause they still have all this unresolved shit with their parents and all, all this unresolved stuff. So any form of racism that they see is triggering because it reminds them of the people they hate most of all, which is their fucking parents, right? Like, so that's why I say doubt people. And, and the white guilt thing is so absurd. Like you're not helping anybody, you're detracting. Holy fuck, and it's condescending. It's like, you really think you're that powerful? I mean, by the same logic that the collective white race killed George Floyd, I guess everybody who's black died that day, right? Like, this doesn't make any sense. It's stupid and it's just jockeying for accolades because then someone responded to them and was like, oh, me too. I'm having this breakdown. Why? You didn't kill anybody. Well, you didn't kill anybody. It's also phenomenal to me when every single, when you hear like people say online, like every single white person is actually a, a racist. Prove that, cunt. Uh, believe it or not, some of us aren't racist. <gasps> and judging people based on their skin color is not a way to, like, solve anything. Well, the problem is, is that every white person's racist. And they need to... My favorite thing ever is when people say, claim that they need to dismantle their inherent white supremacy. How the fuck do you do that? What are you talking about, dude? If you're if you're genuinely a white supremacist, I don't think that you would give a fuck about dismantling it. I don't think you would have any guilt or feel any emotions when it came to like, you know, someone like George Floyd dying. And by the way, this person lives in Canada, which very recently uncovered a shockingly massive, well, maybe it's not shocking, uh, genocide against indigenous people. They found mass graves of, uh, of mostly children on the sites of former residential schools. Uh, this is the tip of the iceberg. They're going to find a lot more bodies. 
It's shocking. It is actually grotesque and horrifying. Um, yeah, uh, most people in Canada uh, cared more about the George Floyd case than they did about that. I mean, very few P Canadians did not really react to that, even though it did make international headlines, just like the George Floyd case. It was like, oh, but, you know, it's sad and it's going to take a long time. To, it's never going to be resolved and it's going to take a lot of time to comb through the facts and it's intense. And with the George Floyd thing was a bigger story and it was a more important story to them based on that fact. Didn't matter that it's like, well, maybe you should give a shit about what happens in your own country and, you know, shut up and look into that. No, 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 no. This was not about that. This was about, you know, showing off how guilty you feel. It's just very, very ins insincere. You know, when people talk about, oh, it's just, I'm dismantling my white supremacy. Okay, how does that happen? How, how would one go about doing that anyways? Like... This weekend, I um, I worked on dismantling my white supremacy. I watched Roots, the old one and the remake. Um, and then I watched 12 Years a Slave. And then I watched Django Unchained. And then I, um, I watched Jumanji. That didn't have anything to do with dismantling my white supremacy. I just, I just hadn't seen it in a long time. I forgot a lot of it. Actually, it's pretty good. And then I stared at the Black Lives Matter logo until I passed out. So, I've got a lot of healing to do. Every single white person, even if you've never done anything racist or said anything racist in your life, they all have a little Nazi inside them. But you gotta, you gotta chase them down and kill them. If you don't, we're doomed. Okay. Like, it's so bizarre. It's so strange. It's so fucked up to me. People are loony. Fucking hell, man. Yeah, all that, like, fucking performative nonsense. Just, like, it's just garbage. And, you know, it, it doesn't really cover anything up because... Yeah, Toronto has a, you know, gay pride uh, parade that happens and it's a pretty gay-friendly place in terms of um, gay marriage is fully legal here. Uh, in 2003, gay marriage became legal in Ontario, where I live. And then two years later, it became legal nationwide. I remember this happening. I remember that there was some uproar about it when it became fully legalized. And at that point in 2005, there had been like 8,000 gay couples who had been married. And um, there was a little bit of uproar, but then people realized that um, it had actually no bearing on their life. So it kind of died off pretty quickly. And a lot of churches here, uh, they, they officiate gay weddings. That doesn't mean that there isn't homophobia here because just a few years ago, like three years ago, maybe, uh, there was um, a serial killer that was caught whose hunting ground was uh, Church Street, which is the gay village or the gayborhood. And um, this guy's name was Bruce MacArthur. 
was very interesting because when they, after he had been arrested, the CBC or the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation put out these um, sort of warnings saying if Bruce MacArthur was ever your gardener, that rhymes, uh, to contact the police department immediately. Because as a landscaper, he had his own business, he was um, using his client's uh, backyards to store the dismembered parts of his victims. Yeah. So apparently like there were, there was a couple or whatever, a family that called the police and were like, he's our fucking gardener. So they came and they seized one of those, those giant like ceramic like planters that they have. And they x-rayed it. This was like in the dead of winter when all this happened. They x-rayed it and it had, there were human remains in there and they had to like cut it apart with a chainsaw. Pretty fucked. So he was um, charged with eight homicides. He pled guilty. So there was no trial and he is currently in jail for the rest of his life. But here's the fucked up thing, as if it couldn't get worse. So he was arrested. Ah. Uh, He's in his 60s, and I saw A Fifth Estate, which is kind of like the Canadian version of uh, 60 Minutes, about Bruce MacArthur, and they talked to somebody who was actually from the FBI, and they're like a statistician. Like, they observe patterns in, like, criminals and serial killers and that sort of thing, and one of the things that they noticed, well, is that they said that, like, serial killers don't kill for this long. Like, it is basically impossible for somebody to start serial killing this late in their life. Because the way that a serial killer works, typically, is, I mean, the majority of them are men. And as they get into puberty, they, um, they start, you know, their urges start to uh, flower, if you will. They start gaining more uh, sort of homicidal thoughts, dark thoughts, that sort of thing, because, you know, their, um, the, their body chemistry is changing. So they're starting to get sexual urges, that sort of thing. And if you are a, a psychopath or you have a, um, leaning towards this sort of thing, then that's when it's going to start to develop strongly. And then they start killing sometimes by the time, I mean, sometimes some of them start doing it in high school. But a lot of them start doing it, you know, when late teens, early 20s, they have their big, long, they have a spree, they, if they're never caught or anything like that, they just kind of keep going. And then at a point, there comes a point where they end, like they start to taper off, you know, like the, the spree accelerates and then it starts to taper off. And then eventually they usually stop if they are not caught or they don't die or go to jail for other reasons. The reason for this is the, the it's directly related to hormones. This is why there's more male serial killers than there are female because it just their their testosterone level starts to drop off, so they become less interested. Like they start they they no longer have that young man's bloodlust anymore. So they get to a certain point and then they're like, "Yeah, I'm good. I'm done." That's why a lot of them take trophies because then later in their years they kind of reminisce. And, you know, that can involve all kinds of fucking foul activities, singular. But that doesn't mean that they uh, 
but they, they don't continue. They typically don't. Sometimes they'll kind of start back up again, like the BTK killer was kind of unusual in that he was like kind of back in the news and he started up again. But generally they stop. They have a, serial killers, their killing sprees are called a career. Like that's how they call it. Like the, that's their career because that's the focus of their life. So it is, it is impossible for anybody to have started that late in life. So it's impossible for Bruce MacArthur to have started that late in life. And they also said that he is one of the very few serial killers who has killed for this, like in, this late into his life, 60s. He's like, there's the, the chances of someone killing for this long with this level of frequency is so, so rare. So basically what he was saying is that there's no way that he has only killed eight people. He has been killing for a long time. There's a lot of victims. The police, of course, have not investigated this. So they think he's been killing since at least the 70s. There was a rash of killings in the 70s that has never been solved. And it is, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a group of, it was a bunch of stabbings that happened. So yeah, there's kind of no way that he kind of just started. So he targeted people who were new immigrants, people who were not white. Um, so not only were the police maybe less interested in looking for them if they were missing people, but in a lot of cases, their families didn't even know that they were missing because these guys were on the DL. Like they were coming in from outside of Toronto to cruise and he would target them and then kill them and they go missing and no one would ever know what the fuck happened to them. But there was an incident that happened. So apparently he took somebody home who was just some guy, like, you know, and um, this guy, uh, Bruce MacArthur started to strangle him manually. And they had not in any way agreed to do this type of thing. And so this guy went to the police, the Toronto police, and told them what had happened. And they didn't give a fuck. They didn't do anything about it. And then Bruce MacArthur continued to kill. The only reason he got caught is he killed somebody who was a well-known gay activist who was also white. Um, and yeah, the, the, this person's family and friends kicked up a fuss because they were like, this person wouldn't just go um, away. Like they just wouldn't vanish like this. This doesn't make any fucking sense. And they, and people had known that the last time he was seen was with Bruce MacArthur and they're like, we know who the fuck did it, probably. He was called Santa in the gay community because he would dress up like Santa every year. He looked like Santa, piece of shit. But here's the thing. So at the same time, I, I wouldn't say the same time, but there was another case in Toronto that did not pertain to a serial killer, but it did pertain to someone who was famous, well, famous in Canada. His name was Gian Gomeshi. And he has been called the Ryan Seacrest of Canada. I mean, what, what a fucking horrifying title. But it's very, very true. You know, metrosexual, um, useless, but for some reason is all over, you know, involved in the media, makes a lot of money. It's just kind of stupid. So he was accused at one point by a number of different women who claimed that they had gone on a date with him and that at some point when they like went back to his place, he started hitting them, choking them, doing things like this. Like he just kind of out of nowhere unleashed on them. Um, there was some people, some women who said that he assaulted them like sexually, but largely it was just this weird like beatings and 
chokings and shit like this. So this had happened a lot and then it started to come out, which inevitably these things do. And it resulted in a very high profile trial. Now he was smart. He got himself a, a shark of a lawyer named Marie Heinlein. And um, one of the big problems was that the star witness of the case, Lucy DeConterre, who is an actress who was on Trailer Park Boys, um, she dated him for a short while and said that he had slapped her and choked her without her permission. And she kind of got all over the media and she had apparently also talked to some of the other alleged victims, which is a big fucking no-no. And she hadn't been truthful. So when she got on the stand, his lawyer was able to very much tear her story apart because there was just shit that she had not mentioned or that she had not been forthright about. Doesn't mean he hadn't been an asshole or hadn't done anything illegal, but it just really, really damaged the credibility of the case. So he was, he was, um, found not guilty. The only thing that he had to do was in one of the cases, he had to sign something called a peace bond, which is essentially kind of like a restraining order. It's just like, don't contact the victim for X amount of time. It's really nothing. It's really like not even a consolation prize. The point is, is that there was someone who came to the police and said, yo, like I went home with this dude and this dude fucking tried to strangle me. And I managed to get away from him. And the guy described like what Bruce MacArthur looked like when he was doing it. And he said that it was like really scary and menacing. And the police did dick all. Then there was a, a bunch of women who said that they had had the same thing happen to them. But, and, and not only did they, ha they had never planned to report it to the police. The police came to them and were like, you're talking about a crime and it isn't past the statute of limitations. So you have to report this essentially and it resulted in this big trial so and I just read this book not that long ago by Anne Rule who's like a well-known true crime author she's a former police officer and she was saying it is always the police's duty to investigate a case where someone has reported that another person tried to strangle them because everybody fucking knows what happens when you wrap your hands around someone's neck and squeeze their jugular vein you're trying to kill them, you know, like you could easily kill them. I mean, and she was saying it, it, people can die within a matter of seconds from doing that. People can die within a matter of minutes. I mean, ask Derek Chauvin. He found that fucking shit out pretty quickly. Like it's so dangerous and you can't reasonably say that anybody in their correct mind is, it doesn't know that. Like, of course they fucking know that. Everybody fucking knows that. But nobody cared. Nobody did anything about it because it was, you know, gay guys. It reminds me a lot of the Jeffrey Dahmer case. Jeffrey Dahmer, of course, being a uh, very famous serial killer. I think his body count was like 19. He tried to turn them into zombies and like put them in acid and ate them and shit like this. But during his murder spree, um, he brought home a, 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 a male prostitute who was actually a 14 year old boy who looked older and he got this kid drunk and high. He gave him a, a, um, drinks laced with uh, Halcyon, I think. It was like, it's like he, he roofied him essentially. He got the kid naked and was like taking pictures and he actually drilled a hole into this kid's fucking skull. Cause he used to do that. It's called trepanation. And it's like, he would try to put like, like acid in their brains to make them into zombies. Not the smartest guy. So anyways, 
this kid was in his apartment and he went out to get more beer and this kid managed to wander out of the apartment and down into the street. He was completely naked and bleeding and incoherent practically. These two women, these two black women, and I only bring up the race because it is prevalent to the story, is they saw him and they were like, holy fuck. So they got the police. So when Jeffrey Dahmer came back, he sees the police outside of his building talking to these two women and there's his soon-to-be victim sitting there covered in a blanket. And he was like, oh, no, 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 officer, sorry, this is my, my lover and he's just had too much to drink and, you know, he got a little nutty and wandered outside. And as soon as, like, he said that, the police were like, oh, oh, no, okay, fine, whatever, whatever. And they just, like, let him go back upstairs with this kid. And these two women were like, no, like, he's scared. This isn't normal. He's bleeding. He's hurt. And the police did nothing. But they let him back there. And as soon as the door was shut, Jeffrey Dahmer killed this kid. And they later found out one of the problems that happened here was that first of all the officers were white and they were talking to two black women and then when a white guy came along oh and the kid was filipino and then a what when a white guy went it's i forget what it's called but it's it's a type of bias where it's like even though the facts are being presented to you in a certain way and there's logic here that you should be following they immediately defaulted to um just paying attention to the person who matched their race who looked more like them so they overrode logic. And also, it's the other fact that they were like, oh, whatever. Like, they were disgusted and they were like, you guys go back, whatever. Had this been different, had this been, yeah, it was a different era. But at the same time, had this been a woman, you know, that was naked, bleeding, incoherent, and a man came along and said, oh, she's my girlfriend. She's just being nutty. I don't know if, I don't think the police would respond in the same way. And actually, the way that they caught him was in a similar fashion. He had brought this guy home um, to take some like sexy pictures. He paid him. He gave him alcohol and drugs. Well, it was alcohol that was laced with drugs that he didn't know. He got the guy into his underwear and then he, he went to slap a, a handcuff on him to take pictures. And the guy said, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm changing my mind. And Jeffrey Dahmer like attacked him and they ended up in a, in a fight and the guy managed to run out of the apartment. So he ran out of the apartment and he found the, these police officers sitting in their cruiser. So here's this guy in his underwear with a set of handcuffs dangling from his wrist. And he was like, look, uh, this dude like brought me over to his house. Um, he put these handcuffs on me and like, I, it shit got weird. Um, and the officers were like, not nonplussed by it. Like they didn't care. And so the, all the the guy was like, can you get these handcuffs off me? And they couldn't get the handcuffs off. They needed a key. So they went back up to Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. And they were like, we don't give a fuck what you're doing up here. But like, this guy needs the handcuffs taken off. Because it's a pain in the ass. I mean, it's just not a normal way for a police officer to react to a situation. Right? Like, this is, this is odd. So the place stunk because he had been cooking dead bodies. And like, had dead bodies in his apartment. They were in the apartment. And... Jeffrey Dahmer was trying to find the set of keys, but like he, there were no keys because apparently the only way that, um, the, he had lost the keys long ago and it didn't matter because he always got the handcuffs off his victims by cutting off their hands. So he didn't have a key. So he's like digging around looking for shit. And then one of the officers notices this stack of Polaroids like on the coffee table and he looks at it. And he's like, holy shit. Cause there's pictures of dead people in it. 
and he thought they were from a morgue or something. And then he realized that the bodies in the pictures are in the same surrounding that he's in. So he's like, oh, fuck. There was a severed head in the fucking fridge. Yeah. With a bunch of condiments. That was all that was in his fridge. Man. Yeah, and there was, like, dead body parts everywhere. I mean, it was, like, the most... Ins it's one of the most notorious serial killer cases of all time. But the point is, is that... In, in both the case of Bruce MacArthur and Jeffrey Dahmer, it's like the police's response to these people were just so abnormal. And it's not so much just the police, but it's, it's like when you want to block a certain segment of the population out of society, what you, one of the things people do is they just, um, they don't treat, they don't give them access to the same things that other people can get access to. So had this case, you know, this case involving women with Gian Gameshi, it was like the police were on it. This guy willingly walks into a fucking police station and says, yo, this guy did something really fucked up to me. He was trying to kill me, straight up. Didn't matter. Nope, nope. And as soon as they found out like Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, was gay and that this was a gay thing, they were like, oh, whatever, just fucking go back to your apartment, freaks. It's one way that people eliminate those that are different is they, they block them from being able to access the same rights that other people can have. And in doing that, it's kind of like they're like, well, you guys just kill each other off anyways, you know, like by turning your backs to them, by denying them the same services that other people can have. That's a way of saying, you know, like it's a way of killing them off. It's a way of cutting them off from society. It's, uh, yeah, it's really sick. It's in the same way gay marriage. So, like, to me, if homosexuality is not outlawed, why is gay marriage? That doesn't make sense to me. Because these people aren't doing... So you've decided that these people aren't doing anything illegal. But then why can't they fucking get married? Like, what does that have to do with you? And maybe people don't think it's a big deal. They're like, oh, so what? They can't get married. And it's like, well, it is a big deal because what if they want to get married? Like, what if that's important to them? And it does, like, you know, it, it makes their life better. It's like now suddenly they can, um, you know, if their partner dies, their spouse dies, they, they get an inheritance. Uh, you know, there's cases where, where gay people who were long-term partners, one of them died and the surviving partner got booted out of the house that they actually both lived in because they didn't, they couldn't have the house because they weren't legally considered this person's family because they weren't married. So it defaulted to the deceased partner's family who then sometimes would like throw out the, the other partner or deny them access to an inheritance that would be rightfully theirs, but they couldn't have that. They couldn't have that estate because they weren't legally married. So it's not applied the same way. Just like, you know, you can't adopt. Sometimes if you're not married, you can't, you know, go for gay surrogacy. It doesn't make sense to me. It's like, even if you don't have, if you have a problem with gay people for whatever reason, like you don't like it, you think it's gross. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because it's a, there's a bigger picture to be served. And the bigger picture to me is just that like, if, Either everybody has these rights or no one, you know? And if you start denying people rights, 
because of something about themselves that they can't help, such as their sexual orientation, then uh, that sets up a precedent that could have devastating effects later on. It's it's just uh, yeah, it's it's going to cause like they're they're the targeted group now. But what if one day you become the targeted group? This is one of the reasons I hate labels because it's like you're marginalizing yourself. You're saying I'm a special group and it's like that's not going to help you. That could actually have very bad ramifications in the future. Because anyone can attack a group. An individual getting to know them, that's a different story. You know? And I I don't understand why people like uh, I never understand people having a problem against gay people for religious reasons. Because first of all, you're being told to hate somebody without there being any explanation. I know that there's this like Bible verse that says like a man, Leviticus, like man shall not lay down with another man. But let's get serious. A lot of people who cite that verse, who say that they're religious, they've never read the fucking Bible. They just reference it when it's convenient. You know, they just spout shit without having any context whatsoever. I have a lot of respect for people who actually study the Bible, who bother to read it and bother to understand it. And it's like, if homosexual, I mean, if homosexuality is unnatural, then why is it, why has it been present with us for so long? And also, why has, why, why can it, it's, it's observed in other species. Like there's other species that, have that are homosexual it's not a mistake it's not an error it's a fluke and a fluke is not the same thing as a mistake a fluke is just an occurrence that is unusual yeah it's unusual but is it harmful no no and and i know that homosexuality has oftentimes been kind of interwoven with uh the idea of being a sexual predator, specifically like pedophilia, there's nothing that suggests in any studies that that is true. I mean, yeah, there's homosexual pedophiles. There's also a lot of fucking straight pedophiles too. It's like, I think people focus on that to get the heat off of the straight people. The same thing with marriage, because it's like people say, oh, well, like, Get, you know, letting people get, gay people get married is going to fuck with the sanctity of marriage. Oh, like straight people really observe the sanctity of marriage, considering the divorce rate is like over half and like people get married multiple times in their life. Oh, no, no, this one's going to be the one. This is the winner. <laughs> like, yo, what makes you say that? What makes you say that? And, you know, people treat their spouses like shit, they, they abuse them physically, emotionally, mentally, they get married for stupid reasons, they get married for clout, they get married for money, um, they cheat on them, they, uh, they end up in these horrible breakups, like, they just destroy one another, and it's like, oh yeah, it's gays that are gonna fuck up marriage, right? Because straight people have really, like, carried that torch so fucking well. I mean, if, if it's so unnatural, if you believe in intelligent design, it's like, which I don't, but say you do. Obviously, God made these people. So why would he keep making them 
when, like, if they're so bad? I mean, isn't that maybe, and, and, and it's not like, oh, well, God makes murderers and God makes sexual predators and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, whatever, but you can't reasonably um, compare gay people to those people. Yeah, there's gay murderers, there's gay rapists, sure, yeah, but, like, that cannot account for the entire population. Like, all pedophiles are bad. <laughs> all murderers are bad. <laughs> Only some gay people commit rape or murder. So you cannot read, and, and not, not like a, a shocking number. I mean, if you're, there's more straight people who probably commit that shit than gay people because there's more of them. So it's like, if the, he keeps making them, maybe he's setting you up for a test that you're continually failing. He's maybe trying to show you the diversity of human experience. Maybe he's trying to fucking challenge you. Maybe he's saying to you, like, yeah, you have to look past your feelings, your initial gut feelings of, of fear or disgust, and, and see the humanity within this person and see that, you know, violence against them is wrong and, and you should be an ally and you should be a friend and this is just an extension and this is, this is meant to, to, you know, expand your soul. When people use religion as a tool to hate other people and discriminate and they go, oh, well, you know, that's my religion. It's like, no, you're a hateful person who is misusing your spirituality to harm others. And I don't think God would be too happy with you about that. I mean, that's just an idea. Because there's plenty of religious people, very religious people, who say, you know, we're all God's children and we should show compassion to gay people. Why do they have that attitude and other people don't? I think it's a matter of choice. And I think it's a matter of being fucking brainwashed, too. Which is really sad. Because it's like... I would hate to just hate people because I was commanded to. No, I want my hate to be real. <laughs> I want my hate to be personal. You know, like maybe you should um, like uh, apply some pressure to your sphincter muscles and shit out that fucking hand that's been up your ass your entire life and feel what it's really like to no longer be a fucking puppet. You might get some relief. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, the guy that I was speaking about before who wanted to have the threesome, he mentioned, he's like, butt sex. Good segue, huh? Flawless. Look at me. I'm like a gymnast over here. Just vaulting over fucking topics. Um, he was like, he's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get, like, during this threesome. He was like, I'm not going to get fucked in the butt. And I was like, that's probably a good thing for this excursion because it's going to be pretty overwhelming. Um, but he's like, they want to get fucked in the butt. And he's like, they, they're like, it's optional if you want to use condom or not. And I'm like, use a condom, buddy. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, because you're going to feel bad if you don't use one. And by the way, that's how, that's how, that's the easiest way that HIV is transmitted through anal sex because there's a higher chance of tearing and bleeding and that's what causes it like the bleeding and that sort of thing so that's why you have a, that's why gay men have a higher likelihood of contracting it or they did at one point now now they don't really now it's like all over the world which is very very sad and that's another instance of of people you know locking 
a minority group out of society because when the gay crisis, when the AIDS crisis happened in the 80s and 90s, they were being left to die and it was being called like fag cancer and stuff like that. It was really appalling. Um, and it's clearly left some serious scars on people. A lot of people remember that time period and, and they're very haunted by it, which is understandable watching all these men die and nobody giving a shit because, well, they're gay and they asked for it. And then, of course, it was when like a little boy got AIDS from a, um, a blood transfusion that people started to go, oh. Because, I mean, the first letter in HIV is human. And actually, at this point in human history, um, there are more straight people on the planet who have HIV than gay people. And they, and they actually now have PrEP, which is a, a thing you can take to prevent, if you're high risk, that can prevent you from getting the HIV virus. Or hopefully, like, you know, lessening your chances of contracting it. Now, of course, there's entire generations that have been wiped out in certain parts of the world because of AIDS. Pretty fucking sad, man. So, yeah, I was like, wear a rubber. Come on, don't be dumb. I'm like, you're sticking your dick in an asshole. Like, it's going to be tight, buddy. It's going to be thrilling. So you don't need to go bareback on that. Like, you really don't. It's going gonna, it's gonna to wrap around your Johnson pretty fucking tight. Use lube liberally. He was like, okay, cool, cool. And then he's like, I'm going to have to give a blowjob. And I was like, well, yeah, it's not all about you. And he's like, I've never given a blowjob before. And I was like, well, it's not, it's not when you start, it's that you start and the enthusiasm you bring to it. And I was like, are you turned on by the fact? Like, do you want to do it? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's half the battle right there. Because an unenthusiastic blowjob giver is is no friend of mine. If you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Because you're just going to give a lousy ass blowjob and make everybody feel bad. And no one deserves that shit. So anyways, I was like, well, he's like, how do I give one? And I was like, oh, Kimosabi. I was like, okay, first of all, you're enthusiastic. That's great. Don't be a princess about it. Like, you're like chow down on that dick you know get it down there but here's the thing you're like a puppy right now so you're gonna be overly enthusiastic number one rule watch your motherfucking teeth when it comes to a blowjob it's lips together teeth apart buddy so yeah like form a tight seal with your lips around it tighten that up but make sure your teeth are apart and i was like take your middle and your index finger and like like fucking suck yourself, suck off your fingers. Can, if you can feel teeth, you got a problem, but this will give you an idea. I was like, or like suck off a banana or go like fast times at Ridge Mountain High and like suck off a fucking carrot and like see if there's any fucking teeth marks. You have to always make sure that you have the lips together, teeth apart rule. I mean, it's okay if there's like a whisper of teeth because sometimes if you do that to yourself, you kind of go, oh, I could tell there was teeth, but there was no scraping or scratching or biting. Um, but there, there was a whisper of it, like ghost teeth or something. That made, this is so stupid, it doesn't make any sense. And I was like, that's okay. And another thing you could do is just like wrap your lips around your teeth and then form a tight seal and just like, you know, suction baby. That's what you gotta do. Like you're turning your mouth into like a cock jacuzzi. So, there can't be any sharks in there. That wouldn't make any sense. What are you doing in here? Hi, you're a shark. Get out of here with those fins. That's what you got to do. So 
I'm like, another very important thing is saliva. Like, no one wants a dry ass blowjob. Like, get in there, buddy. Like, spit should be dripping off of their balls. And one of the ways you can do that is just like, just gag yourself, motherfucker. Like, don't just linger around at the head. That's lame, buddy. There's a whole dick there. There's a whole dick there. What the hell? You're holding up the line at the banquet, you know, at the buffet or whatever. So get your suction, get your teeth in order and like go down the whole length, go down the whole length. And like, that's going to feel weird because you're not used to that. And like, you're going to gag on it. And I'm like, Hey, I mean, I don't know how you feel about throwing up on a cock. And he's like, no, I don't really want to do that. And I was like, okay, well, it's not for everybody, whatever, but gag yourself. It's hot. Like it's not embarrassing. It's hot eyes watering. It gets your salivary, salivary glands like working and shit like that. Get all that spit on there and use that and don't cheat. Like don't just give like a fucking hand job that's, that's masquerading as a blow job. Sometimes you see that shit and it's like, oh, I know what you're up to, mister. Don't do that. Like, yeah, use your hand. Your hand is your friend, but don't like, you have to know when to use it and how much to use it. I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, you're new to this. They know you're straight or whatever the fuck you are. They know you're not experienced and that's all good because they love that shit. And another really hot thing you can do is you can say, tell me how you want it. And they'll like instruct you. They will. They'll instruct, instruct your ass. And, and you'll feel really good when they, when they appreciate your effort. I'm like, enthusiasm's half the battle, you know, but it does take a little bit of time, but you're going to have two dicks to slobber on. So you get twice the amount of fun, really, when you think about it. Um, yeah, go to town, go to town on the dick trolley, buddy. And I was like, you know, if, if you don't want to do this, like if you, if you show up to this event and like they got sores on their dicks or they smell bad or like some shit like that. He's like, no, no, no. They get tested and stuff. I was like, bravo, get yourself tested too. make everything safe. This doesn't have to be a, you know, horrible, risky shit. This sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. They're not making you do nothing. And, and I'm like, and you know what, if you show up and you don't like it or you change your mind for whatever reason, get out of there. No one's obligated to give anybody sex. Just like no one's obligated to fucking explain their life. Do what you got to do. Be who you want to be. Like life is fucking short. This is another reason that I, I think it sucks that people are shitty to gay people. It's like, okay, yeah, you know what? No one chooses to be gay. And I've known a lot of gay people. And some of them have said like, I wish I wasn't fucking gay. It would make my life easier, but alas, this is who I am. And so I'm going to embrace it. And I think that that's totally fine, but it's like, you know, fucking is kind of a consolation prize to how shitty life can be. And people want to have connection and they want to have love and they want to have sex. And it's like for you to shame them for it or make them feel bad or what the fuck ever. It's like, that's bullshit. That's complete bullshit. Like, who are you to make someone else's life misery, miserable just because you're fucking sad shithead. Anyway, so that was, that was a good call because he actually told me I was beautiful and he had, he hadn't asked for a description and he wasn't going off of a profile. He's talking about my soul dog. And that means the world to me. I've done a lot of blowjob instruction over the phone sex line. I get lots of calls from guys who are outside of a, a glory hole and they're like, 
I want to go in. It's my first time. And I give, I give a lot of glory hole pep talks. You know, I'm like, shit, do you want to be the guy who sits outside of a glory hole and didn't go in? And he just went home and like fucking cried. That's bullshit. That's bullshit, buddy. That's bullshit. I'm like, you get in there and do something with your life. Do something honorable. And, and there's also been plenty of times. It's like, I'm like, I'm like Patton, you know, like at the movie Patton. George C. Scott, I'm like that, but for blowjobs and glory holes. I will sometimes, I will give instruction while someone is in a glory hole. I find the concept of a glory hole hilarious. In case you're pretending you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a designated area where a person goes in to like a stall sort of area and there's holes and people stick their dicks in the hole and you suck them or stroke them or fuck them. It's, it's a, the, an anonymity is the name of the game, baby. It's just like, it's just straight up suck, fuck, stroke. The, the, um, etiquette of the glory hole determines that if you are about to come, you knock on the wall. I don't know why you can't just say, I'm going to come, but maybe they can't hear you. I'm not sure. I, there's glory hole pornos. There's this one glory hole porno that I saw that was really, I mean, it was inadvertently funny because this chick was like fucking chicken heading this guy's cock right? Like going real fast on the fucking dick. And she went so fast, she slammed her face into the wall and her nose broke and she started bleeding everywhere. It was so funny. It was so magical. I mean, I mean, that woman deserves every award ever in the world because like, holy shit, talk about putting your, you know, like putting effort into something. Holy jumping. There was this glory hole porno that I kind of liked, but then it got ruined because it was like the chick was fucking the guy and he didn't knock, he came in her. And then later she realized he came in her and the camera guy was like, it's okay, I'll go get you plan B. And she was like, what the fuck? Like, that's shitty. That was weird and shitty. She seemed to be having a genuinely good time up until then though. She seemed to really be down for it. Her and the cameraman had like a pretty good rapport and like um, banter, chemistry, that sort of thing. It was nice. It's nice to see that. I have, however, recently heard about something called um, Porto Potty Glory Hole, which is exactly what it sounds like. And I saw a video of this. I guess there's like a porn site where this is happening, where the chick goes into the fucking porta potty that has a hole in the side of it. She takes off her clothes. Men go up to the porta potty and they put money in the hole and then they put their dick in there and she sucks them off. And she just does that for, you know, particular amount of time and there's cameras and shit I feel like the concept of the porta potty glory hole it just sums up our entire culture like it was always going to end up like this just someone sucking off a stranger through a hole in the wall beside a fucking chemical toilet I mean this is where it's at let's this is the summation this is the you know this is this is a cipher you know what I mean like that's what I think a glory hole uh, you know it's a cipher for our fucking culture Holy shit balls. I think that, I think it's, I think it's really funny to think about glory holes. It's like, so you're just sitting there and then it's just like, boop, there's just a dick. And then I also saw another glory hole video where the chick, the guy put his dick in the, in the hole and she like, I guess his dick stunk because she threw up. I mean, what a fiasco, right? What a bummer. Like, dude. It's funny to me. Like, it's funny. It's like, I mean, I would have a very hard time not laughing. I would have a very hard time not fucking around with people. Like, um, 
like jerking them off with fake blood or like <laughs> spray painting their dicks gold <laughs> or like um, jerking them off and saying weird shit on the other end of the wall or something like being like like telling them weird anecdotes and stuff like that about the time I thought I saw the Easter Bunny um, and then I, like when I was a kid and snuck downstairs to see if he had left me any eggs and stuff like that and then I thought I fucking saw him in the living room like I thought I fucking saw the Easter Bunny just standing there it was the scary it was like holy fuck because I didn't really think I was going to see him I really didn't I was just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just doing this because it's like a weird thing that I do. I sneak downstairs and stare at the Christmas tree. I sneak downstairs and I stare at the bunny and shit like this. And then he was there, just standing there. And it was like, oh my God. Like, I did not think this was going to happen. Imagine me saying all that while stroking someone off. And, I, you know, and, and I, I'd have a hard time not like, or, or someone sticks their dick in and I just go, what's that for? What are you doing? What's this thing for? Huh? Why am I here? Like, just freaking people out. Um, I'd punch them. It's not nice. I'd slap them. Spit on it. Throw things. Fake having a seizure. Oh. Um, ask questions. When's your birthday? What's your zodiac sign? Do you have any pets? Hi. How are you? Oh, look at your dick. Look at your penis in the wall. Mm. <laughs> there was one occasion where one of my sissies, that's what they're called, sissies, the guys who dress up like broads, um, he... I made him, he wanted to go to a glory hole. It was like an inaugural glory hole event, which is always a thrill. And so he dressed up like a princess, a fairy princess, like with wings and shoes and a wand and a tiara and a wig. And he went down to the glory hole with his duds. We got dressed there. And then I made him kneel on the sticky, disgusting floor and then wait for his dicks. And I was going to instruct him and he was going to describe it. And I was going to shit talk him through the phone. Cause I've done that before and instruct him and shit like this. And, uh, nobody fucking showed up, which I didn't even know that was possible. It's a glory hole, dude. Like, of course people are going to show up, right? Like, hello. I, I mean, holy shit. Like going to a glory, it was actually kind of scary at first. Cause it was like, what's going on? Like, is this a sting operation? Is this some sort of trap? Like, this is a very hostile vibe. Like, hostile, like that shit movie. It's like, oh, it doesn't look like this. But then it's like, people going to Glory Hole get, like, captured and stuff. And then they were taken to, like, I don't know, Holland or something like this. Wooza Plantage, that fucking weird village that had that... They found that, like, um, shipping containers in, like, a, a warehouse in the middle of this, like, really quaint village in Holland. And it was all, like fucking chambers where people are being tortured and things but they have no it's like who made this who did it and there's like riot gear and it's like oh my god people are pretending to be cops like i would think that would be what's going on they're gonna take it's like oh no like they're just using this to capture people and take them to a belgian castle or something and do something weird with them all the bankers of the world cabal and shit like this i don't know or it was just a slow night at the glory hole so I told him, I said, you know that this is your fault. 
And he was like, I know. And I'm like, it's because of you. Like, you obviously have fucked up. And he's like, I know. And I was, so my punishment was that I made him walk home in his fucking princess outfit. And he, he was on the phone with me the whole time. So he was just walking down the side of the street with his like wand in his hand and like his head down like Charlie Brown. Just wah, wah. People were like honking at him and shit like that. He was bummed and I get it. But I was like, you got to try harder. He's like, I'll, I'll do it someday. Fucking asshole. It's just, you know, I'm glad that I can have such an impact on people's lives. It really, it really does me good. I mean, there was, there was another guy who was a regular caller. And he was, uh, he told me that when he was in college, he was like 18 and he was in like the sports guys dorm. Like all the people who had sports scholarships were in a dorm together, which already is the setting of a gay porno. You cannot tell me otherwise. Anyways, he said that like during Frosh Week, he was there to for a tennis scholarship. He was going to be like the next big, like he was going to be like Andre Agassi. It didn't happen. And um, the first week he was there, there was this like meathead, longhead hockey player who was also there on a scholarship because there'd be no other reason why this individual was in any sort of institute of academia otherwise. Um... And that was, you know, just to get him to the NHL or whatever. But he said, like, the first week they were, like, they were hanging out. They were playing, like, foosball or whatever. And then it was, like, late at night and it was, they were drinking. And he, the guy was, like, I dare you to suck my cock. Yeah. So this caller was, like, challenge accepted, cunt. And he, um, he sucked this dude off. And the guy had, he said the guy, he described the guy's dick and the guy's dick was massive. He said it, it was one of those like, like beer can thick cocks, like crazy thick cock. That stuff sucks a little bit. You know what I mean? Like girth is great. No one wants a skinny penis, <laughs> but like it can get a bit outrageous. He said it was so big. It was hard to get his mouth past the head because it was so big. It like stretched his mouth out. And he says he had a theory that he was maybe hunting down guys to suck his wiener because until then he had only had girls and he was said he maybe defaulted to men because you know men would have bigger mouths i was like that's an interesting theory but i don't know i don't know if it holds water maybe it holds some semen i'm not sure so anyways this was not a one-time event this kept happening for four years for four years he would go to this guy's dorm room, this hockey player, and they would chill for a little bit, and then he'd be like, suck my dick. And then he'd suck his dick, he'd come, and then he'd leave. That's all they did. They didn't do anything. No kissing, no hand-holding. He said in the whole time, the hockey player would, like, shit-talk him while he was sucking his dick. And, it, like, just yell obscenities. Like, well, not yell, but, like, just say, you know, obscenities and shit-talk him and make fun of him, and he didn't care. And then he'd bust his nut, and then he'd leave. He said that the guy ended up in the NHL and was kind of famous for a while, but then he got in trouble for something, and now he's, like, probably an alcoholic somewhere. But he hadn't sucked any cock since then. Hmm. He hadn't sucked any wiener. So now he was in his 40s, and he had banged a bunch of broads throughout his time, as one does. 
and he was like, you know, he would call and he'd talk about sucking off guys and telling me this whole story and he would whack off. He was a real quiet masturbator. He was real quiet and efficient about it, which tells me that he's gay. Um, and he was like, I, you know, I've been fantasizing about it for so long. And he did say that he did look up this guy that his cock he was always sucking in, in college. And he looked him up on Facebook and he says he's really fat, so forget it. But he was like, I'd like to start, you know, sucking dicks again. And I was like, well, I don't think you're going to have a problem. I mean, the guy lived in Florida. So it was like, you're not going to have an issue. And he's like, yeah, but I don't know if I want it to be like a fucked up, like Craigslist situation. And I'm like, ask your friends around. Like we both, we formulated a plan. So he asked one of his friends who's like this burned out party girl, like, hey, do you have any friends, gay friends who would like be down for a sensuous dick suck? <laughs> I just stole that line actually from E Fucked. So I'm, I'm not going to take credit for it, but I do love that. Sensuous dick suck. That's, that was a description on one of the most disgusting videos I've ever seen on Effect, which is saying something. Anyways, he's like, find me some men that would like to suck it down. Hoover down. And um, she's like, you got it, boss. And so she found these two friends of hers, these very good-looking, successful gay couple that's been together forever. And um, they're like, yeah, we're down. We're down for this guy sucking our cocks. And the way he described it to me, the caller, he described it, he was like, yo, like the one, so the one guy has a really big cock and the other one is even bigger. That's how he described them. So like they had these two dicks. Yeah, as, as one would. So he went over to their house. He made the date. He went over it. The whole time I was like coaching him and encouraging him and being like, you, you make it happen. And so he went over and he sucked off the two of them. He said it was glorious and then um, they made another date for like the next week. But this time when he showed up, there was only the one guy. The other guy wasn't to be seen and he was kind of like, oh shit, like where's the other guy? And he's like, yeah, he wasn't totally into it. He's like, you get your dick sucked, I'm off doing something else. So fishing or whatever the fuck. And so he blows the, blew this guy and he, once again, this guy also shit talks him while he sucks his cock. And he does that like several times a week now where he just goes over and sucks this guy off. The guy shit talks him and he leaves. Like there's no talking. They don't chill. They don't have drinks or snacks. They don't do anything. I'm like, I bet this guy's fucking in love with you. But he's very happy. And I'm happy that I can contribute to the quality of someone's life by, you know, helping them um, hoover down wiener. Hey man, whatever gets you through. You know what the thing is? Saliva has a fucking um, painkiller in it, a mild painkiller. So when you produce a lot of saliva, it's like, oh, it feels nice. You know what I mean? That's why that's why people are addicted to food and shit. Because it's like, oh yeah. Because like the more delicious the food, the more the saliva, the painkillers kicks in, and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why suck a dick is so fun. Because you're getting high at the same time it's a thrill a minute um yeah there was there was this one caller <laughs> who like fucking oh man he um he was in the military <laughs> he was in the navy you know the marines and um 
I mean, it's been kind of cool that I, through this job, I've been able to talk to people who are in like the armed services because it's just so, so interesting and unique. Like I've talked to people who are like Gulf War veterans. Okay, I have to tell this story. So one time when I was a kid, I was like four or five and the Gulf War was happening and I was watching TV in our rec room and there was all these pictures of like the desert and shit like this. And I knew there was some sort of conflict going on on the other side of the world, but I couldn't understand it. So I went upstairs to ask my parents to explain the Gulf War to me. And they were playing this game called Pente, which is like, it's like checkers, but like ancient Egyptian checkers. It's like you use these little stones. They were always playing it. A lot of board game playing. Um, yeah, or they would be playing Scrabble. They were playing fucking Pente. And I went up and I was like, can you tell me about, and I, I, I couldn't say the name Saddam Hussein. I So I was like, can you tell me about sad man horseradish or something and they were like what and I'm like you know you know that guy like Solomon Harsenfotch or something <laughs> and they were like what the fuck are you saying and it was like Samuel Horshack uh Sadnon Harfensock what the fuck like, you know, the guy, the guy with the mustache and the beret who's got, nobody likes him. Everybody's talking about him. He lives in the desert. Hello. And they were like, we have no clue what the fuck you're talking about. And I was like, oh my God, fuck. Uh, satchel horse fucker. Like the guy, damn it. The guy overseas. And they were like, who are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I got so frustrated. I laid down on the floor and cried. Like starfish, just laid there crying. And my parents were not like tantrum tolerators, but they just sat and stared at me. And they were like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Cause this is disturbing. I was just trying to learn about the Gulf War, but then I found out the Gulf War didn't even take place according to Jean Baudrillard. That's a book I have. Whatever, huh? Yikes. So anyways, I like talking to people who have been in the armed forces because they've got doozies in terms of stories and they're all fucked up and I like that. This guy, however, had not seen any combat, which I have to say, I know that this is rude, but I don't care. Um, whenever you hear about someone who's in the armed forces who didn't see active combat, you're always kind of a little bit like bummed. You're like, I want stories, you know, like, I want you to tell me about being in the shit and like, I want some Stanley Kubrick's shit going on. And it just, and, and, you know, when they can't give you that, it's like, well, I'm glad you don't have PTSD, but I'm a little sad for myself for not being sufficiently entertained. But anyways, he did have something to tell me that was very interesting. Cause I asked him, I was like, what can you, I was like, is don't ask, don't tell still kind of like in effect? Were you, like, I mean, at that point it had been repealed. Um, but Don't Ask, Don't Tell was, it applied to the American military. It was put in place by the Clinton administration um, officially, but it had been unofficially used since, like, World War II. WW2. And what it was was that gays weren't allowed to serve in the military on the basis that they were, um, they would corrupt the morality of the armed forces. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because it's like, these are people being trained to kill people they don't know, and yet gay people are gonna fuck with their morality. Yeah, I'm sure that's 
that's that's what's gonna happen. So weird. So yeah, Clinton put that in there. That was like no gays, no gays. And like if you were if you join the military, and you were found out to be gay, you get dishonorably discharged. And people could like tattle on each other and be like, this person's gay, uh, and they could have their whole life ruined. Bullshit. So Obama actually repealed it. That was one of the things that he did that was that was good. And it was, I think it was one of the first things he did. But anyways, I asked this guy because he had served in the military like pre that, pre-repealing of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and post. And he said, well, it seems like it's kind of the same thing that it's always been. And that it's just like, yeah, it's happening. Like men are having sex with each other, but they're just not talking about it. Don't ask, don't tell. So it's kind of like still there. It's the same as it's always been. It's just like, yeah, it's not, it ha except now you're not going to get in trouble for it unless someone's like, well, even now they can't really do anything about it. So in the days of don't ask, don't tell when it was enforced, like people could kind of like tattle on each other and ruin each other's lives. Now it's like, there's no point, you know, bummer. You might as well just join in on the fun. So he's like, yeah, people like they're boning each other in the military, but they're, they're not making a big stink. Cause why would you? You're just sneaking off. So this guy had been in the Navy. No, he was a Marine. So he had had missions in submarines. Now I'm a fucking retard. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. And uh, this motherfucker had spent missions in submarines. And like, what for? Were you, were you like delivering a bomb? Were you fighting Krakens? Were you fighting Megs? Big, big, do you know about Bloop? Which is like this recording that they have of some like big fucking shark thing or whatever in the fucking ocean. And they're like, this is the biggest size we could think of. Like, what are you doing down there? And I don't know, I don't remember, but it was like, they were just toting shit from one place to another. It seemed kind of stupid, but then again, I don't really know what's going on. But you're like in a, in a submarine for like three months. That's why you have to be like mentally fit because otherwise like that could be like sub of carnage, which I'm sure is some sort of low rent German horror movie from the seventies out there whatever. And so, yeah, it sounded like it was kind of a boring mission, but maybe he was just saying that because they had like alien life forms on board or something. And he can't tell me because there's like a microchip in him and his head would explode when he started explaining it. Dude, I get it. And I was like, are there ladies who come on board these missions? And he's like, yeah, not many. And I, so he was telling me about the, this mission he was on and there was two women to like a whole crew of men. And I was like, whoa that must have been kind of intense for them and he's like yeah i never really saw them they were at the like they had they were they steered clear of like all the guys on board not that anything was going to happen to them but like they stayed clear from them and just kind of did their own thing he said they were in their own barracks at the other side of the submarine and i was like no kidding i mean i wonder what they were up to right <sighs> scissor sisters comforting each other you know Scissor sisters on a vessel filled with seamen, uh, getting their octopussies entangled. Um, so I asked him, I'm like, well, don't ask, don't tell buddy. But like, uh, have you ever had any encounters, you know? And he was like, well, <laughs> cause he had talked about women. 
but then I, and I kind of thought it was a long shot. I was like, have you ever had any don't ask, don't tells for your own? And he was like, well, there kind of was one thing. And I was like, oh, you tell me now, sir. And he was like, okay, so I guess he's more of like a higher ranking dude. And he was on this mission, mission, mission impossible. Um, and there was this guy who was on board and the guy was real uh, cocky. Mm-hmm. And uh, resembled a young Robert Redford. Mm. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, he said the guy was like, you know, flirty, charismatic. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, um, he said that he had to go to this guy's barracks for something. It was like a check-in thing. And he said that he knocked on the guy's barracks door. The guy was like, come in. He walks in. Young Robert Redford is laying on his bunk wearing only a pair of white boxer briefs, his boots, and his dog tags. And he's stretched out with his hands behind his blonde head. <sighs> Daddy. So he came in. And he was just talking to the guy and the guy was just kind of, you know, talking back to him and, and grinning and shit. And he's like, he could see the shape of his, you know, sea cucumber. <laughs> his fucking jocks. Mm. And then he was like, all right, see you later. Off he goes back to his bunk. We all know what happens there, don't we? <laughs> Anyways, so when the mission ended, he was kind of like, hey, it's been nice knowing you. Maybe we should hang out sometime. The guy's like, I'd like that. So they started getting together. Mm. You know, eating food, talking. Just a couple of seamen, you know, no octopusy in sight. And um, one evening, I mean, there had been a lot of like buildup of sexual tension, right? Hey, we're friends. We're just men, servicemen, getting to know each other. Meow. Anyways, um, one evening he came to this caller's condo for another hangout. They had some pizza. And then he thought, I'm going to make a move. I'm going to make a move. A salvo, if you will. He says, would you like to watch some porn? Robert Redford says, yeah, I would. So he says, okay, let me get out my favorite porn. He puts it on. It's gay porn. It's men's. It's men's making love. Making love hot and heavy, like they were on each other like a fucking giant octopus on a fucking pirate ship. Oh, limbs everywhere. And I said to him, I was like, was it just a frantic, beautiful grope or were their orifices breached? And he's like, oh, we did everything. You know, he fucked me in the butt. I fucked him in the butt. Blowy, sucky, fucky, fucky all night long. 
fucking crazy. I was like, you dudes ate a fucking pizza, no prep whatsoever for anal, and you just fucking slammed each other in the butt. Were, were your dicks totally brown afterwards? And he was like, no, actually there was no, there was no shit. There was no shitty. To which, I mean, that should be further proof that God has willed this. Because it seems like, I don't know how many guys I know just like get slammed in the butt and it's like, they're all good. Whatever, dude. Oh man. But then there's all these like female porn stars whose asses are falling out. Pink sock, they call it, or rosebud, which is gross. Because, I mean, yeah, they're getting savagely pounded in the butt for a living. So, you know, that's gonna happen. But, yo, these, all these gay men are just like, fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they love it. Holy fuck. Can you believe this shit? I can. It's wonderful. Anyways, so they continue on with their sexy hot affair. And then the other guy... Robert Redford eventually, I don't know, transferred somewhere else and left. And he's like, you know, we still talk sometimes. And I was like, do you whip, do you miss him? And he's like, yeah, you know, I still jerk off thinking about him and stuff. And I was like, oh man, you're wistful for that cock, aren't you? I think I'll miss you forever. Like the stars miss the sun in the morning light. Late is better than never. Oh, man. Anyways. Yeah. You know, uh, recently I was reading about probably the most famous gay hate crime in all of history probably. And that is, of course, the story of Matthew Shepard. Matthew Shepard was a 21-year-old university student from Laramie, Wyoming. He was openly gay. This happened in the 90s. And um, this, this story was uh, very pivotal in changing people's perspectives on gay people. So the story was, was that... Um, Uh, Matthew Shepard was at a local bar in Laramie. These two men walked in, Aaron McKinney and um, I think his name's, his last name's Henderson. Martin Henderson? I don't know. Is that an actor? Okay. So Henderson and McKinney, they walked in and they um, targeted him for robbery. They uh, struck up a conversation and um, when the evening kind of concluded, they asked him if he wanted a ride home. And he said, sure. He got into the vehicle with them. They had a truck. And um, Matthew Shepard put his hand on Aaron McKinney's leg. Aaron McKinney responded to this by beating him in the head, pistol whipping him with a 357 Magnum. They drove out to a pretty remote spot. This is Wyoming, so there's like big plains and stuff like that. And um, the story has always said that they tied him to a fence post. They did not, in fact. They tied his hands behind his back and then they, he was savagely beaten and left 
in like sub-zero temperatures. This was October and they fucking left. Um, he was found 18 hours later uh, by a cyclist who thought he was a scarecrow. They thought he was a scarecrow who fell off the fence because they couldn't understand why there would be a person slumped against the fence with their, you know, legs splayed, that sort of thing. He realized it was a person. He called the police. They rushed him to the local hospital. Um, they couldn't do anything for him there. They had to send him to Colorado because um, his injuries were so extensive. Very kind of famously, they have said that um, he was so covered in blood because he had these massive head injuries that the only place on his on him that didn't have blood were two um, like streams down the side of his face where he had cried his own blood off. They contacted his parents who were diplomats in Saudi Arabia at the time and so they came back. His mother said that when she saw him in the hospital bed, he um, she didn't recognize him. She thought maybe it had been a mistake because his face was so fucked up from being uh, from being beaten. Uh, he lay in a coma. He never regained consciousness. He had severe brainstem trauma, um, obviously very bad head injuries. They weren't really able to treat him because the injuries were so complicated that like treating him could have killed him. So he ended up dying six days later. This was a very, very big deal. There was a, um, it made international news. And it's, like I said, it's the most famous hate crime, I think, in all of history, uh, especially in the modern era. There was a big uh, memorial service for him on the steps of the White House. Ellen DeGeneres spoke. I don't think a lot of people remember this, but Ellen DeGeneres, when she came out, it was a big fucking deal. Before then, she was this um, very successful comedian, uh, very, very well liked. And um, when she came out, the world exploded. <sighs> it was a big deal. She was like one of the first like the first mainstream actress to come out of the closet. If you see, she had a very successful sitcom called Ellen at the time and she her character came out on the show and that was also her coming out. And um, if you see the episode, they had a live studio audience and when she comes out and says, I'm gay, like when she says that, the audience like erupts, like, and it's not even like a cheer, it's just this crazy noise, like what? Uh, Laura Dern played her love interest. Laura Dern has said that doing so blacklisted her in Hollywood for a long time. Uh, the show was canceled not super long afterwards. The ratings dropped significantly. She overnight went from being very beloved to being massively ridiculed. She started showing up at events with her then girlfriend, Anne Heche. Both of them were mocked relentlessly. They were treated like circus animals. Um, novelty items, basically. And uh, eventually she kind of faded from the public eye in disgrace. And then many years later, she came back with her talk show, which, you know, is basically her helping sell Hollywood shit. Yes, she's made a lot of money. She's very, very successful, but that's what she's doing. She's like pimping out Hollywood projects on her show. Yeah. So I can imagine that she's uh, not happy about that. Although, like I said, she's made a lot of money and that sort of thing. I don't know why people care so much about, you know, the um, 
the workplace environment on a talk show for a celebrity that they don't know. I mean, there's toxic work environments all over the place. I don't know why you would care so much about a celebrity that you don't know, but that's people, I guess. So, you know, when she was forced to apologize and people kind of dragged her through the mud and shit like that, it's like, I wish people remember like how she was treated in Hollywood and how she was done and people were nasty and cruel to her and destroyed her career simply for doing something that was actually really brave. And Portia de Rossi, who is now her wife, has said before that Ellen DeGeneres coming out was a litmus test for everyone who was closeted in Hollywood. Like, well, we'll see what the reaction is here. Like, maybe this is something, something, you know, like progressive that's happening. And no, her career was destroyed. She sank into a really horrible depression. It was very, very challenging for her. So, I think it's weird that people are like, oh, you need to apologize when it's like, I think she's kind of owed the apology, to be honest with you. Like, is it fair for her to treat people like shit because she was treated like shit? No, that's not the way you should go about it. But at the same time, it's like, I don't see anybody kind of saying, yeah, you know what? The way you were treated was really fucking unfair and really fucking wrong. You were doing the right thing. You were being brave. But, you know, people called her Ellen, you know, degenerate and stuff like that. Overnight, people just fucking hated her guts for no reason. Made fun of her constantly. So I think that Matthew Shepard's death was a way, I mean, that, that was a real turning point because it was like, oh, now people are like, people kind of understood it in a different way. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, gay people are actually, uh, they've got a rough go of it in this life. Maybe we should treat them better. <laughs> that might be something. And, uh, okay, so the thing about Matthew Shepard's case that makes it very interesting is the two men who killed him were caught the same night that they uh, uh, murdered him. And um, they were charged with a hate crime and they are now serving life sentences, no possibility of parole, both of them. There's another side to this story. There's actually two other sides to this story. So I had always thought that the story was a little unusual, just in the sense that they claimed that they walked into this bar and that they knew that Matthew Shepard was gay from looking at him. They claimed that they, quote, acted gay to gain his trust and then they asked him for a ride home. He put his hand on one of their legs and he went ballistic and beat the shit out of them. I mean, how would you, you can't really know what some, if someone is gay or not just from looking at them. Like they, he, Aaron McKinney tried to say that he knew that this kid was gay because he was like frail or whatever, thin. And it's like, dude, like, have you not looked around? Like not everybody's like a GI Joe, <laughs> like what the fuck? Um, and these guys weren't that big either. And, uh, what do you mean you acted gay? Like, so you like walked over to him and started talking in a lisp. How did you know he had any fucking money on him? How'd you know you were going to get anything out of him? Like you're taking such a substantial risk. And then, you know, you get into the car, he puts his hand on your leg and you beat the shit out of him in response. Like doesn't really add up. doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, because there's parts of the story that um, were never found out until years later, and that was only through the efforts of a journalist by the name of Stephen Jimenez, who is also gay, 
that's part of the reason that he was sort of interested in this story. He was there in Laramie right when anything, everything happened, and he said he bought the story that it was just these rednecks who walked into a bar, decided to rob this gay guy for some reason, and then, you know, out of their extreme hatred for him, they beat the shit out of him and killed him. It's almost cartoonish to me. Because this is not the true story. That's not actually what happened. Now, yes, Matthew Shepard's life was taken. He was beaten severely and no one should suffer that fate. Absolutely. But there was a problem. The problem is, is that as soon as the word got out that he was in the hospital, Matthew Shepard, two of his friends who were activists decide, like, went to the papers and said that this friend of theirs had been beaten as a result of being gay and that it was a hate crime. So that kicked off the whole publicity train. And from that moment on, that's what people believed. But these two people didn't know the details of the case whatsoever. They made an assumption. The thing is, is that at that time, hate crime laws were not in place for gay people in Wyoming. What that means is that if someone killed or harmed a gay person, they could employ what was called the gay panic defense, which is such a stupid name, but it's true. It's when people could say, well, um, this gay person came on to me and in response to them thinking I was gay, I beat the shit out of them or I killed them. This has been used in a court of law many times successfully. And in fact, that's the defense Aaron McKinney used. He claimed the gay panic defense. He said that when um, McKinney, when, when Shepard put his hand on his leg, he was triggered because he had been sexually abused by men as a children, as a child. So he flew into a rage and killed him. That was his explanation for what had happened. For this extraordinary overreaction to somebody putting his hand on your leg, who was significantly smaller than him. Okay, yeah, doesn't make any sense. But if you charge someone with a hate crime then the charge, because if, if it's the gay panic defense, it can get, um, the charge can get whittled down to manslaughter, which means you can get out of prison probably. And it's also blaming the victim. So it's essentially handing people a license to kill. They also found out that there were no hate crime legislation involved protecting women or disabled people. So people could very easily use the defense of, well, you know, she was asking for it or it's her fault that, you know, she ended up dead because she mouthed off to me or, you know, what was she expecting, that sort of thing. So this caused a major change in legislation because if someone is charged with a hate crime, then in the U.S. especially, you get, you can be charged with felony murder, which can actually get you the death sentence. And the only reason that the murderers of Matthew Shepard did not get the death sentence was simply because Matthew Shepard's parents asked for the death sentence to be taken off the table because they just didn't want violence to continue. They didn't see the point. So it was only through their mercy that these guys remained alive. So Stephen Jimenez, when he found this out, he was like, oh shit. So like the lens of this case has been distorted kind of from the beginning. There's more than meets the eye. So he started doing research. He researched for many years. He talked to many people, including McKenney and Henderson, who later gave interviews on TV, like Dateline, I think. And they brought out the real story. The real story was that McKinney was a, a crystal meth addict and he went to the local bar because he had been on a binge for like a week. And 
he was out of money. He had tried to rob another drug dealer who had like a $10,000 stash and that didn't ha work out. So him and Henderson went to this bar and McKinney was like, let's rob somebody. And that's what happened. They only got like $30 off of uh, Matthew Shepard. And the same night that they were arrested, McKinney got arrested for something else. He actually picked a fight with somebody and he broke the guy's skull. So this is just a very angry person. So he said that the real motivation was not really sexual orientation. It was money out of desperation for drugs. And the reason that he killed him was because he was in like, you know, he had been doing meth for a week because he's obviously a violent person. I mean, the exact same night he broke some stranger's skull. There's another aspect to the story though that, uh, that makes it even more fucked up. They actually weren't strangers to each other. McKinney and Matthew Shepard knew one another. He didn't select a stranger at the bar who he thought was weak. He picked someone who he knew. He knew him because they had done drugs together and because they were casual sex partners. Aaron McKinney is gay. Now, many people have attested to this. Aaron McKinney will not admit it. He won't even say that he knows that he knew Matthew Shepard. He insists on saying he never saw him ever before. There are multiple witnesses who saw the two of them together on multiple occasions. The arresting officer of the night that he was arrested said that he had actually caught Aaron McKinney having sex with another man. There are people who had, who had sex with him, men who have said, yeah, I had sex with him. His baby mama who went to jail for him because she lied about his motives in the Matthew Shepard case says now, I think he's at least bisexual because he was always trying to get us to have like threesomes with men. He seemed really fixated on that. And people said that they saw him and Aaron McKinney doing drugs together and they would kind of go off together. So when he went to the bar that night, he picked somebody that he knew. I mean, I've procured drugs in a small town. So when you don't have any drugs and you want some drugs, the thing you do is you go to a local bar and you try to find somebody that you know who has access to drugs and then you try to get drugs out of them. Now, Matthew Shepard's toxicology report did not have any meth in it, which makes sense because there was a drug drought. There was no, there wasn't any meth to be had and he wasn't an addict. He was a recreational user, but he was not an addict. So you'd think, well, why would he let himself be charged with a hate crime with felony murder when he could just say, well, I'm, I'm gay myself or at least bisexual. Why wouldn't he say that? Well, because we, and get less time. Well, I mean, there is the drug aspect to it. He did fuck over some drug people and uh, you can bet that they're probably waiting for you on the other side if you get out. So he's probably none too thrilled about that. But I also think that he would rather languish in prison being known as, you know, the guy who murdered a gay guy and it's the most famous hate crime in all of history than be outed. Because as he said, he had been sexually abused as a child by men. 
and this makes sense as to why his life was the way that it was afterwards you know life of crime and drugs and getting in trouble lack of responsibility um when Aaron and his his story has never changed in terms of that he said that uh Matthew Shepard put his hand on his leg and that made him snap I think he was embarrassed I think he knew he felt embarrassed by the gesture and that it happened in front of Henderson who didn't know their connection he just went along with what McKinney did he Henderson just went along with what McKinney ordered him to do McKinney was the was the aggressor and was the person who committed the murder essentially um so I think that I mean if you look at the crime itself I one of the things that he did say was he was like you know I targeted him because he was so weak because he was gay so he would perceive homosexual feelings within himself to be bad because of what had happened to him the last thing he would want when he hasn't even processed his um sexual abuse is is to become anything like the people who have abused him he would perceive that to be very um that would be a sign of weakness on his end so he wouldn't want anyone to know about that and the fact that he smashed this kid's face in he beat him so savagely it was such an insane reaction and yeah okay the drug aspect of it could very well be a part of that but i don't think it factors as much into it as most people would like to think i think that or or what he would think i think that he was destroying this kid because it was in a sense destroying a part of himself that he felt was very weak i feel like the crime itself speaks for itself destroying someone's face is a very personal thing and and taking him out some somewhere desolate and leaving him there is in some ways almost like symbolic like i'm leaving behind this this weak aspect of myself it's hidden away from everybody cuz like someone was going to find him eventually the fact that he that he harmed him so badly and then left him and it was such a merciless fucking murder really says something it really says that this was a person who was lashing out at the externalized image of the thing that he hated most about himself because he ha- he will deny that he ever even knew him he can't even say yeah i knew him you know we partied together whatever but we never hooked up he can't say that because they probably did so if he allows that to come out then everything else is going to come out and he can't have that cuz it will be destructive to his sense of self which has been built up to to shield himself against who he really is which is that he's a gay man it's pretty interesting i think i mean crimes speak for themselves like what he did to him says everything is it still a hate crime i mean he he killed him because he was gay but the fact that he also is gay or is at least bisexual and i i have to wonder if maybe that's what prevents some of the men that i speak to on um you know like seeking their own sort of um sexual 
gratification in other men. Maybe they're afraid of each other. Maybe they have an anger within themselves, about themselves, and they're like, I don't want to meet someone else who feels this way, who's going to externalize it on me. I mean, maybe that's stretching a little bit. I don't know. But there is that. And, and the Matthew Shepard case and what has been covered up is, is very, very interesting because it's like it, it, it cuts out a lot of the parts of being gay that people don't want to talk about, like anger and, and frustration and pain and, and a feeling of disgust. You know, not everybody feels out and proud. Some people really, really wrestle with this shit. Which brings me to my final story, which is one of the most profound things that's ever happened to me on the phone sex line. So years ago, this happened, and um, a guy named Jim called me. And um, Jim was really interesting because he was talking to me in a stall at work. He talked to me in the stall at work for like an hour and did not talk to me at all about sex, which is interesting because a lot of guys will call me in a stall at work, at their work, and they'll, they just want to jerk off. They're like, get me off right now. I can't take it. But he just talked and we just talked about relationships and people, not just romantic relationships, just the nature of relationships between people and intimacy and and loyalty and these sorts of things, these sort of like, it was just a cool conversation that was just kind of abstract and fun and interesting. And um, all the while he's in this stall and I could hear people coming in out of the bathroom like flushing and shit. So like he's standing in the stall just having these like, you know, deep conversation while these guys are like shitting and being like, what the fuck is this guy up to? So we had this conversation and then he had to leave. Like I said, no mention whatsoever of sex, except in like, you know, kind of an abstract way. So I really enjoyed the conversation. He was really funny. He had a great voice. His voice was Jonathan Turs, who was a comic from back in the day. And um, he called me a few weeks later. And I was like, hey, you know, I enjoyed talking to you last time. And he was like, I enjoyed talking to you. And then we ended up having this really intense conversation and the conversation started with him telling me that he had met his now ex-wife on the same phone sex line that I worked for. So years previous he had been calling the phone sex line he started talking to her. She was 22 and um, so this was 11 years previous, 11 or 12 years, so 22. She had been a stripper <laughs> who bought a farm she bought the farm and she thought that, you know, like it was going to be this really cool life of like getting back to nature and shit like this. And instead it was a disaster. She didn't know shit about farming and it's a fucking brutal life. So she started working as a phone sex operator to like supplement her income. She met Jim and they, you know, hit it off and they, um, they, uh, you know, uh, started talking on the regular and he invited her to come to Chicago. That's where he lived. And she accepted. And, um, she went and she met him at the airport. I've been asked to like come to people's homes before. Obviously I've said this before. People have said, I'm going to pay for your flight or I want to visit you and shit like this. I always say no. And it's like, I was dating this guy one time who I told that to and he's like, well, why not? And I was like, I don't know, because maybe I don't want my eyes to end up in a jar somewhere. Like, Jesus, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? 
I mean, this chick was lucky because Jim wasn't a psycho. Or didn't seem like one. So he picked her up at the airport. He brought her back to his place and he, he was very clear with her. He's like, I don't expect you to do anything sexual with me ever. Like, it's it's up to you if you want to or you don't. Um, it's all good, baby. You know, we'll just chill. He went to go take a shower. He came out. She was naked on the couch. So they started fucking and they got married. They had a kid. Uh, their marriage, their relationship was pretty rotten. It doesn't sound like they were well suited for each other. They didn't really have a lot in common at the end of the day. Um, there was a lot of fighting, a lot of strife. It was just, it was a struggle love type situation where it just was like, oh my God. Eventually, um, she decided to go back to school. He paid for her to go back to school. She kept ch changing majors. She eventually graduated. I asked him what kind of degree she got. He says, I don't even remember, which is funny to me. Um, she got back into stripping. She did some escorting, stuff like this. Eventually they divorced, despite the fact that their marriage was garbage. They, it was, you know, very difficult divorce. One of those situations where it's like, it sucks, but it, it still even sucks that it ended. So yeah, this was like nine years together and they'd been divorced for like two years at this point. And he says, you know, now we're friends and she's actually remarried and she works in insurance. And he says, you know, I don't regret it. I have my daughter and that's what matters. And I hear that from a lot of guys who are divorced who, you know, they're like, I got no hard feelings at the end of the day, even if marriage was a mistake, I got my kids out of it and that makes it all worthwhile. So whatever, he says they co-parent nicely together now that they don't have to be married. And I was like, so are you gonna go out and date again or what's your deal? And he's like, I don't know, I don't think so. And he was like, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, he's like, you know, here's the thing about me and women. He's like, I, I kind of have a problem with them in that I get, bored of their pussies <laughs> and I was like really is it is it anything else? like is it that they change or something happens and he's like no I just get bored of their pussies and I was like how long does this take and he's like weeks sometimes months and I was like and what happens then and he's like well you know they get they get fed up with me not fucking them but they like to stay with me because I'm a nice guy so they just go fuck other people I said, and are you bothered by that? And he's like, no, I'm never bothered by that. And I was like, and you don't indulge? He's like, no, I just let them. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. I was like, well, why don't you go out and maybe try to, try to date or something? And he's like, well, maybe I should uh, date a man. I said, is that something you want to do? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. I said, is that something that you have done before and at first he said no and then he said okay I lied yes he's like my best friend and I in high school we used to suck each other off all the time and I fucking loved it I was like okay no problem and I'm like but you've never dated a man and he's like no no I, I can't and this was pre-corona so I was like well what if you go to a gay bar or something He's like, yeah, maybe I could do that and I was like you could just go to a bar and buy a drink and sit and chill nothing happens nothing happens don't have high expectations about anything just go and see and uh you know if 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 you talk to someone you talk to someone if you don't you don't you can say you did it you can say you went you had a drink at a bar and it wasn't terribly eventful but you went he's like yeah you know i 
I would really like to be with a man, you know, I really like to, he's like, you know what my fantasy is, my fantasy is, is that I, I imagine being with a guy and I, I suck him off and I make him come really hard and then we just like hold each other and fall asleep and, you know, it's really great. <laughs> and I was like, that does sound really great. And when he was talking about this, he sounded different. He had this, his voice had a different quality. It had this kind of dreamy quality to it, where it was like, yeah, he was a different person. And this was clearly something that he felt and that he wanted. And he was like, but what does that make me? And I was like, well, you might be gay. You might be bisexual. I don't know. He's like, but what does it make me? And it's like, it doesn't make you anything. It makes you a guy who has sexual feelings that are for consenting adults. <laughs> like, you don't have any dreams of, like, hurting anybody or causing people pain or things like that. He's like, no, 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 no. I want it to be pleasurable. I was like, then there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong with it. It's all good, buddy. And, uh, you know, he said, he just was like, I just would really, really like something like that. And I feel, you know, I, I feel for him because he's in his fifties and it's, it's brand new shit. And, uh, you know, he's kind of hyped himself up. So on the one hand, he's kind of like, setting himself up a little bit for disappointment but he's also like how you can't hold back too long and he's like I, I just wish that I could come home and there would be a guy here waiting for me and um he like asked me how my day is and then you know at night we go to sleep and side by side and talk until we fall asleep and it's like this sounds really nice <laughs> This doesn't sound like something you should prevent yourself from seeking. You might not get it, but this sounds too nice to not pursue. And he was like, well, what if I maybe want to have sex with women sometimes? Then have sex with women. And he was like, have you ever been with a guy that was with guys? And I was like, yeah, oh yeah, plenty of times. And I was like, and, how, and he's like, how do you think about it? And I was like, I think it's fucking hot. I ain't got no beef. I think it's hot. I think it's hot when guys get down with one another, you know? And there's going to be people who don't like that, but, like, fuck that noise. <sighs> yeah, so... It was a real... I don't know. It was a real meaningful conversation. He told me he had never told anyone anything about his feelings and shit before. So it felt really cool. Though it was profoundly sad, but also very beautiful and moving that this guy opened up to me in this, in this way. It's, it's like a, it's like such an honor and like such a privilege to have people connect with you and open up and let you see them. Like the, the, the inner cabinet, you know, what they've got hiding in there. It can be so shocking and so cool. And like, I'm, that's one of my favorite calls that I've ever had on this phone text line. I'm going to remember it until like the day I die. I know that sounds weird, but it was just like so meaningful to me. That's the other thing too about labels is that 
you're not a label. You're not a bunch of labels. You're a fucking person. And people always think that they have to try so hard to get people to notice them and like them. And you, you don't have to. You don't. Like, people connect with each other and it doesn't take much. It's like the connection's there and it, it can stay with you forever. And you don't have to try so fucking hard. You don't have to push so hard. Uh, yeah, I feel like everybody perceives that they, they need to bend over backwards and show the world every part of them and try this and try that. And then you get all this like phony bullshit online and it's like, fuck, no, like you're trying too hard. You don't have to. It doesn't take that much for people to like you. It doesn't take that much for people to love you. Like when I think about the artists that I really like cherish and love, it's like I heard one song and I was done. I was like, I'm going to follow this person to the edge of the earth because like they're showing me who they are and it's not a collection of ideas. It's, it's the real authentic self. You know, you got to find the people who are com complex and will get down with your complexity. And at the end of the day, that's not going to be a lot of people. It's not going to be a lot of people in your life that are going to like really want to get to know you and understand you and see you for who you are. And that's fucking fine because that's like, to me, the point of life. It's this big fucking hunt for the things that you need and love and care about and the rest can go fuck itself. You know, you don't need lots of shit. You just need a few precious things and that's enough to like keep you going. All right, so thank you so much for joining me again. It's been two months, it's been a long time. I had some health issues that kept me down for a little bit, but I am back in the whatever groove. Thank you for joining me. I always really, really appreciate it. Um, Come back in about a week because I am going to put out something for Halloween that's going to be special just because I love Halloween so much. So, um, yeah, come back and um, I will regale you with some tales of horror. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm Deep Throat Podcast on Instagram. Uh, and yeah. I hope everybody is keeping safe and happy and well and enjoying coming out of lockdown a little bit by time. I don't know what the fuck I just said, a little bit at a time. And um, yeah, I will talk to you again very soon. If anyone would like to contribute to the show monetarily, that is greatly appreciated. You can find links to do that in the podcast description. Um, one of the ways you can donate is through PayPal. I have a PayPal account, paypal slash me slash I'm Deep Throat, but you can find other methods in the description. Thank you. I am your hero and your whore, Leah, and I love you. Bye for now. Greetings, press four to go back to the previous greeting. We'll get going, suction it to the floor. And it's nine inches? Have you ever used it? And how did that work out? So you broke it in? Or it broke you in? Yeah, no kidding. 
Okay, so you got a section to suction to the floor. So are you right above the dildo? Okay. You know what to do, don't you? Pull aside your panties, girl, and get that up there. Keep bouncing on that fucking cock for me. You want it to be a cock horse, so you better work for it. You can't just take that title, you have to earn it. It's like Miss America, you gotta put on a whole show to get your fucking sash at the end of the night. You gonna come? Yeah. Come all over yourself. You're like a doe that's just been mounted by a buck and you're just now staggering out of the woods into the sunlight. You're welcome, that's what I'm here for. Now run along, 